You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. And there goes the encoder, and we are good to go. What's happening? How's everybody doing? This is the IT and the D Show, episode 364, broadcasting live from our quarantine homes. This is Bob the Sales Guy. That's Dave the Geek. Randy at Do the Twitters is doing the Twitters. Find us online at IT and the D.com where you can do us a favor, give us a like on the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Uh, yeah, and again, as per usual, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're not doing events in September. Uh, maybe, maybe October. We'll see how that goes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, hope everybody stayed safe. Enjoyed the, uh, enjoyed the long weekend if you got one. Uh, yeah. So guests this week, uh, once again, the illustrious. Oh, and, uh, hey, uh, shout out to, uh, you know, long time, uh, you know, guy that's been around. Uh, good to see Jeff Haas and Andrea, uh, Chris got married, uh, over the weekend. Congratulations, guys. Yeah, super nice wedding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we are joined uh, by the illustrious Fred Brown. He is our only person we will ever talk to about the Ronas and the COVIDs <laughs> and the uh, and the things that are keeping us from do this doing this stuff. Um, but Fred uh, had an interesting presentation that he just gave to Harvard, and I don't know why he's talking to us, but we were lucky enough to have him here. <laughs> so. Fred, how are you, sir? How's the weekend? Great, great. I did. I didn't get much done. I was working on the kind of making sure the presentation was up to speed, up to speed for the for the group. But hopefully, it'll it'll be interesting for you guys. So, I guess you know before you dive into that, I guess just a general question: like, what's I guess what's your sense on on how things are going right now? You know, you you read. I mean, like, maybe you you've you've thrown some numbers at us before. Um, there was another study that just came out that I saw that said you know we're probably looking at uh, as many as four hundred thousand deaths by January first. Um, you know, like what's what's kind of your vibe on how things are going? So I uh, so I think there are a couple of good things in in the space, uh, especially what we're doing with vaccines is pretty exciting, and I, I wanted to kind of give you guys an update mm-hmm. on that. Uh, unfortunately, you'll see that we're having some challenges keeping the uh, COVID virus down under control in Thanksgiving, and I can tell you my projections there. It's not quite as bad as 400,000, but we do start to escalate around Thanksgiving, and we have to kind of watch for that. And, of course, the economic piece is, a, is, is challenging because Congress has not made any decisions, and it's driving me crazy because, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are suffering. Well, I mean, I, I think I think everybody at this point is kind of like, are they even going to bother at this point before the election? You know, I mean, as as sad as that is to say, because you're talking about another two months, but yeah, yeah. Then you either got a lame duck, or or you, either way, you got brand new people coming in. They say, well, we better wait till January, and all of a sudden, you got you know five or six months, right? You're waiting. So I, I do worry about that scenario, but I think they're going to come. I mean, I think they're going to have to come to a conclusion in the one to one point five trillion mark. Otherwise, it's going to be. Enough un- unhappiness in the in the population that a lot of people aren't, aren't going to get reelected, <laughs> right? Well, and, and I know the uh, like the big thing that I've seen uh, recently is uh, that there was I think there was just an article yesterday where so they've approved gyms opening, um, yeah. Yeah. and I I genuinely don't know how this is going to work because they're yeah, saying they make you wear a mask. I was like, yeah, you've got to wear a mask while you're working out. Everything's got to be, you know, right. six to right. ten feet apart. Everything, you know, something like I'm, I'm really confused how they're going to make that work. Um, but yet movie theaters uh, are, are kind of barking that, that they're still kind of, you know, uh, uh, basically on not even on life support. They're on death's door. 
Yeah, and you know that's the problem. I mean, we we can make all the policies we want that open up the economy. You can make all the gyms open. You can make all the movie theaters open. You can get everyone on. You can open up all the airplanes. But if people feel like they're at risk personally, they're not gonna they're not gonna engage. You know, they're not gonna be come coming. And I and I miss the good workout. You know, I'm working out downstairs and basement. I kind of don't have. I can't get. I can't. Oh yeah, us too. You can clearly tell uh, what what big gym rats we all are. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> us. Know, it, it, <laughs> you know, you miss that that, that really all out workout, and uh, you kind of wonder. But uh, so a lot of the gyms have really worked hard on trying to make this safer, and it'll be interesting to see how things go. I I personally think it's going to be really challenging. Uh, I heard of one gym, for example, is coming out, and they said, "Look, we got you know, four thousand square feet. We're only going to allow four people in at once. Uh, wow, square foot. We've got lots of ventilation. We can open up doors, and that seems like." Uh, wow, you know that's that's pretty interesting. The other thing is, I mean, they better be careful. That's uh, that's how Nancy Pelosi got caught. That's uh, that's you know, they had, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, well, you know, it turns out that that, that government so there's some big government agencies that, that have had their gyms open the whole time. I just saw that. Yeah, there was that story out of San Francisco today that and people are pissed. Yeah, that's right. They are right because they can't go to their gym, but everyone who's making the law, the rules, can go to. Their yeah, anybody that's yeah, all the uh, all the gyms in government buildings uh, have been open this entire time. So yeah, either they're not working out, not going to that, not are not going to facility at all, which is possible, or the, you know, but it's not quite as dangerous as we think. I, the I the old saying, it's the old saying, Fred, the rules are for thee, not for me. Uh, eh, yes, do as do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, wh- why don't I? Why don't yeah, I go ahead. What I, what I presented, you guys can tell me. Eh, if it's, if it's interesting, it's great. If it's not interesting, not. I'm pretty sure none of us are ever going to say "eh" to you. But okay, <laughs> this, is to, this is to you know a group of academics. So it may not, you know it's sort of interesting. These guys are, are pretty smart, but we we you know we've got a good audience. And I'm sure we're going to get great questions. So we'll just whenever you get something that you, where, where you're not sure or, don't, or not quite right, just let me know and we'll move on, or I'll answer the question. Let's see here. Where's my slide? There we go. Yeah, so when I when I gave my first talk, you you guys saw that about three weeks later, four yep. weeks later, uh, and uh, basically Harvard said we have to sit and think about this whether we want to open this up. Well, this time they they allowed it to be opened up in a week after I gave, I gave the presentation. That was a lot faster, and so maybe it means that I'm getting I'm getting <laughs> you know uh, less controversial. We'll have to see. <laughs> in that in that first presentation, what I said is around September we're going to have some suggestive scientific evidence that say says we're on a track for getting pretty lucky and maybe we're going to get a vaccine pretty quick or some ways of controlling the virus pretty quick. There'll be some suggested evidence in place by that point. Let's get back together then because between then and now, not much is going to happen. So, you know, between April and September, not much. <laughs> but, uh, not, not really. I mean, a lot happened, but it was all fairly predictable. Let me, let me talk, t- talk a little bit about the predictability of that. So on March 23rd, our death toll was at 773 and our unemployment was at 4.4%. And that, at that point, I wrote a paper, uh, and I uh, and I presented some of that uh, to Harvard on April fourth. And in that paper, I said that there will probably be between one hundred forty-five thousand and one hundred eighty thousand deaths. And so, when you have seven hundred seventy-three deaths, and you're looking at by September first having, you know, one hundred eighty thousand deaths, people look at me like I was on another planet. But I've been doing this for a long time, as have a lot of other modelers, and I thought. So that's about what the right range is going to be. Right. Was April, Fred, Fred, was April 5th the actual shutdown date? I'm trying to... No, uh, the actual date was, I think, March March 13th to 17th. Yeah, March. Yeah, because we, we closed on the 16th, Bob. Yeah, 16th. And that was the that was the day the order came. Or maybe it was the 15th. That was the day the order came out. Yep. Got it. 
So that, that was the day. And so a couple of days later, I sort of, we were all interested in what's going to be the impact here. And so that I started doing some modeling. I had done some modeling starting in February because I was a little bit worried about what was going on. And I worked H- hand modeling. <laughs> Sorry. That's too easy. Just statistical, just statistical modeling. Sorry. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> but, you know, I, I did a lot of work uh, with uh, Johns Hopkins. We put up the big, you know, death clock uh, on their engineering uh, medical education group. And we were sort of interested in what, what, what are these, what are they, what's going to look, what it's going to look like in September. So we all had a little, you know, bet how, how close things would get. And, uh, the actual was 185 in September 1st, so 100. I said, you know, max was 180, so but pretty pretty close. The maximum unemployment trough was 26. percent uh, That was the, that was my U6. They have several different indicators of unemployment. U6 is the total unemployment we tend to look at as economists, and the jobless rate hit 22.5, a little bit more than that uh, ultimately when you do the, all the revisions. But so I was, uh, you know, ultimately it was about 25 and a half percent. So I was a little off by a little there. The required stimulus, I thought, would be 4.2 trillion congressional, one one trillion Federal Reserve. Actual was 3.7 by Congress, but of course they couldn't quite get to the next 500 billion. They should have because of the politics of the situation. I, they, I think they would have gotten to their to my 4.2 trillion had uh, not been so political at the last minute. Uh, 1.2 trillion. I underestimated that. The Federal Reserve has been a real star in this whole thing. I, I, I mean, hats off, right? They 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 got in front of this thing. They pushed hard. Yeah, everything, everything I've said, everything I've read said that uh, Mnuchin has just been phenomenally reasonable. Just, hey, look, I'm, I'm the guy that executes policy. You come to me with anything reasonable and, and we'll do it. Like, but you guys have to figure, but like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing sort of go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the Treasury and Fed have sort of been working hand in hand. Mnuchin, so it's Mnuchin uh, and, and the Fed groups. Uh, governors have really been working hand in hand. And, and, you know, what we all know was with exponential growth, right? I, I, I kind of talked about last time we, we talked, uh, is that you got to hit this thing hard before you really see the indicators. The indicators have to be really early warning and then you have to do like twice as much as you think. So the Fed did that and things are looking good on the Fed side. Net economic damage, 2.5 trillion. I was guessing in the game out to 2.45 trillion. So again, close. And the idea here is that when people say this is unpredictable, that's actually not so true. We, we can actually get pretty close on, on predicting this stuff in advance. And I'll show you what the predictions look like out through the end of December and my, my, my best guess today. And we'll see, you know, whether those come right or not. I hope not because this is a, this is a, this is not a great, obviously these are not good scenarios. <laughs> so it, what you're saying is everyone that's watching at home now should go pour themselves a drink and strap in. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You want to have a bartender standing by. <laughs> At least that, if not more. So what I've been doing since since we talked, you know, last time, as you guys know, uh, but Harvard didn't, I've, I've been working with lots of state governments, lots of yep. national governments. I do all this work for, for free uh, because luckily I've got companies that also consult with me when they pay me. Otherwise, I, 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 I mean, as it is, I'm eating a lot of casserole, but at least I'm able to kind of stay afloat on the financial side of, of the situation. And I feel badly for guys who, you know, are on the wrong side of that equation. So hopefully things will be turning around. Um, all, all these opinions, projections are their mine. I, I have worked with a lot of these companies. They've allowed me to reveal all this material. So uh, if you like the material, you want to use it, you know, uh, feel free to jump on the website, fredbrown.com, pick it off and, uh, and use it like you like. Awesome. Uh, all for you. So at any rate, let's see what we got here. So first thing about COVID is it's worse than we thought. It, 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 we, I didn't think it was going to be, you know, I thought you can see, I, I, you know, I thought it was going to be bad. But the things that make it really bad are number one, the transmission. We know that, you know, human to human transmission that is, uh, uh, 
through the air is the worst possible kind of virus to control. And that's what we got with COVID. So that's the first problem. Second big problem is treatment. It turns out uh, is quite variable because there are always different things that happen when you get COVID. It isn't just COVID. You get some lung problems, and then 8% of the people actually get worse problems. We'll talk a little bit about that. Immunity, you know, we want to get to herd immunity, and uh, that's going to be tough to achieve because we're not sure how long it lasts, and we're not sure how strong it is. So those things are, are, are challenges to manage. And then the last thing is that the economic impact has been really off the charts. Yeah, we're just not used to working. Uh, so, so question though. So, you know, okay. So, transmission has been ex- exceptionally difficult contain- to contain. Is is that because it, of the virus, or is that because of us? Let's let's be clear. Uh, <laughs> well, it actually is because of the virus. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Well, so we we can do more, but fundamentally, this virus is tough, and here's why. The first problem with the virus is that asymptomatic patients, people who feel absolutely fine, uh, are spreading, are just as likely to spread the virus as someone who's super sick. Uh, and that makes it really tricky, right? Because if you're feeling pretty good, you don't, you don't want to have to wear a mask all the time and you're going to be going out and saying, I feel good and, and breathing and coughing on people, sadly. And, and though it turns out that 40% of the transmission have occurred, have occurred through asymptomatic patients. And that's very rare. Usually if you get the flu, you feel crappy and then you start to be then then you and those are the symptoms then right this is sort of special because you have so much asymptomatic transmission so that's hard to it's hard to convince people to wear a mask if they're feeling pretty good and they look pretty good so you get close to them and then and sure enough you're coming down with something even though they're not <laughs> i mean i'll be i'll be honest that doesn't really surprise me all that much like we're we're basically a nation of hey i'm starting to feel better i'll stop taking my medication yeah i, I know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, adherence is an issue, especially for non, even for the non-pharmaceutical industry. The second big thing is that 50% of the of, of the spread occurs before symptoms even arise, right? So uh, usually what happens is you get the symptoms, then you start to spread. In this case, two days before you get symptoms is when you're at maximum spreadability. And uh, so pre, what they call pre-symptomatic uh, people are, are spreading us all over the place. Uh, and so... Uh, the other and the last issue is that it can spread invisibly, right? So you're sitting there and someone coughs in an elevator. A few hours later, you go in. The aerosols are still in the air, and you pick up the virus. That literally happened in New York, um, where where we had a video camera footage. Here's the guy that coughed. Three hours later, a lady stepped in. Boom, came down. Yeah, I remember, yeah. I, remember, we, I think we talked about that the last time you were in, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So it turns out if you can stay outdoors, it's 18 times safer than indoors. So do your stuff now. If you've got lots of stuff you want to get done. <laughs> Do it now. Don't wait till November. When you have I, I was like, I was like, yeah, but we're 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 in Michigan, Fred. That's that like that 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 window closes probably sometime next month. <laughs> okay. uh, update your HVAC if you're if you're you know a building professional. Look at HEPA filters. Look at cleaning systems and so on because that's going to make it the ventilation makes it turns out makes it big. So what about what about homes though? Like what about like your your regular person at home? You know, is like should you go and get a duct cleaning service? Should you? So, so, so there are a couple of things. Number one, uh, you should open your windows more. Uh, you'll get fresh air in there, open windows a lot. Number two, you can get these little room fil- filtration systems that have UV light that filter stuff. Keep it in the middle of the room and look at and check the, 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 the certification. What you want to have is something that's going to turn over the air about four to six times an hour. So if the, if the thing, if you're sitting in a 20 by 20 room and you got a, if you've got a, then a, a, a group that uh, something that has the capacity, that's a, that's that's two thousand square feet. So if you've got something with the capacity of five hundred square feet uh, in, in in every fifteen minutes, 
uh, that you're going to change over the, the air quite a, quite a bit, and that the UVC, the UVC lighting, uh, should kill, kill off some of the viruses. Oh, like you're coming. To, you're coming to mask. I got to go run and grab one that I have down here. Keep going. I because I, I just okay. remembered something I wanted to ask you. Keep going. <laughs> and uh, and and the, yes, masks work. The issue that we have is, and you'll see this repeatedly through the entire what we've done wrong, kind of so far. Sadly, is we haven't developed the infrastructure we, that we need to distribute, to manufacture, and distribute our own masks in the United States. And the, the same thing happening in testing. The same thing happening in in gowns. The same things happening in hygiene. You know, we're just not producing the stuff we need to fast enough uh, to, 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 to to actually uh, to get to the demand we have. The last big thing about transmission that is really weird about this wires is it has a really low K value. I mean, K value is important because that that's that indicates super spreaders. And if you have a really low number, like 10, uh, 0.1 in this case, 80% of the spread comes from 10% of the infected. That means you can go and do stuff, you know, and not and not have any trouble. And then you go to one event and 500 people will come down with something. And that is sort of like a magical thing that happens with this with this virus. So it turns out we don't really know what, what, what's causing these super spreading events. It could be certain activities like alcohol consumption, you get a little bit closer to people, Singing, shouting, uh, rallying, uh, protesting, choirs, those tend to be a little bit more, especially if they're indoors. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you're allowed to say protest caused the virus spread. And some people, like there's one guy in Italy, he got sick for three days, got infected 750 people and died. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that kind of stuff happened. So I think the big future issue is going to be identifying and controlling these super spreader activities and where they are happening and who those people are. And that's going to be you know, challenging for us to figure out. We don't know it yet. So that's about transmission. Then the next thing is treatment. Right? We talked about treatment. And the good news is we're getting a lot better at managing these cases. You know, if, we, if, you, get, if you got sick back in April uh, to, and versus today, you've got about a 20 to 30% better chance of living today than you did back in April. And if you think about it, you know, after over a six-month period, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's darn good. And uh, we'll go into kind of the what, what's caused that in a second. We now know that it doesn't just kill by by respiratory failure; it actually kills also by clotting and sepsis. And uh, so that's two different kinds of things you've got to treat simultaneously with this disease. That makes it that much more difficult to really solve. We have had some some great successes, uh, especially dexamethasone. This um, uh, you know, which uh, is a steroid, and it can kind of calms your body down so you don't overreact to the infection. And remdesivir, which actually stops them, it stops slightly uh, the, chance, the, 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 the opportunity for the infection to spread, reducing your hospitalization from you know, 14 days to 10 days. So not great, but it's a start. The bigger thing is we've got our care protocols that have been a lot better, more oxygen, less ventilation, more pronation, figured those things out, which is great. The bad news, though, is that it's a lot less, the, the mortality, morbidity, a lot less, a lot less predictable. Uh, than other pandemic disease vectors. You've got diseases from all over the place, lungs, multi-organ blood clotting, you've got the heart issues, you've got the brain issues, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. And then, of course, you know, multiple disease etiologies as well as pathways make it hard to know what drugs are going to work. So we have to actually have cocktails of drugs all working simultaneously rather than just one you know, silver bullet that's going to work in this case. And then we'll talk a lot about long-haul consequences. Basically, this is not a it's not a disease you want to get. So the next big issue is going to be developing these cocktails that, that uh, work variably by person 
and by the kind of infection you've got um, uh, in, 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 out in the practice. We'll just, we'll just insert bourbon jokes here and just let, let, it, let it die immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. Hey, I'm, I'm good. I've, I've got a backstock. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so the last area is immunity, right? The good news is vaccines are going a lot faster than I thought they would. I mean, I was predicting we get into phase three in September. We got into phase three uh, kind of July 11th. I mean, that is fast. And they even rolled almost, they even rolled over 25,000 people in this thing uh, across two, 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 uh, two clinical trials. That's really fast, too. So we're doing a really good job in that space, and that improved the odds of approved vaccines. So, but that's so that's some of the pushback that I've seen with some of those stories online. Though, is are they moving too fast? Like, are are like are they like are they kind of are they skipping steps? Are they are they kind of you know flipping their way through? They're kind of being flippant on their way through this, trying to get something out and being first. I will. I promise we'll go into that in a lot of detail. Okay, because <laughs> that is a great question, and we'll, we'll work. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, so. We'll, we'll go pretty quickly. Not so good news is that sadly we have some reinfection. Seems to be possible. Mm-hmm. We've got the three cases of reinfection we talked about last time. We do see that there is some immunity for three, three plus months. We talked about that last time as well. So you got this question of how long does immunity last? And it looks like at least four months and hopefully longer than most people, but we don't care. We're not sure yet. Uh, and of course, uh, we don't know what the viral mutation is going to do under, under selection test. So once you start to, you know, affected with new drugs and new vaccines, the virus could shift, start to start to shift around quite a bit in terms of the kind of virus that's out there with mutations and so on. And then we have a question of uh, whether you can have viral enhancement. Well, yeah, because that's like you would you would mention that before that, you know, that's one of the concerns with, you know, the vaccines or even just in, you know, the labs working on the vaccines, that kind of stuff is, hey, don't oops and accidentally make the damn thing stronger. Yeah, that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that that, uh, that that can happen, and also if you inject someone, and then it turns out that you, you start to uh, create, uh, you know, uh, immunity in some in, in some area that can actually enhance the impact of the vaccine on right. the in, uh, uh, by mistake. So the other issue is so the next issue there is going to be the distribution of free non uh, of weak non durable partial vaccines. We're going to have lots of sort of vaccines that sort of work for this population that aren't. Particularly, completely protective, not like a smallpox where everyone, every time they take it, you're, you know, 100% protected forever. These are going to probably initially be more like, well, help me a little bit, but I still can get sick and I still got to watch out. So that's sort of not ideal. And figuring all that out is challenging sometimes. So at any rate, the economics. So now we get into some of the economics, right? There's been a big, um, difference between the economic impact on Wall Street versus Main Street. Uh, and you can see what's interesting about the uh, the, 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 the slide on the, the, the diagram on the right is that the brown the brown uh, graph is actually the uh, the weighted average uh, uh, of the fang group, and that's 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 uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. That's fang, and they've been doing great. And in fact, the rest of the S and P is in the green line below. And they've not been doing so great, uh, frankly, but, you know, selectively okay. Overall, though, the market has come pretty much back to where it was uh, in about three or four months. It's shocking. Shocking, right? Amazing. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, I, I, I did not expect to see that. That's crazy. I, I, I was a, a little bit surprised. I was, I was surprised that it bounced back this quickly. <laughs> Um, but it turns out that the reason that's happening is that the Fed is basically t- 
taking the counterside of the so the Federal Reserve Board, our, our main reserve bank, is, is actually taking the counterside of the bet. And they are not commercial. So they don't really care about price. They just want to get money into the economy to kind of bend the curve back down again on the overall impact. They want to have that trough be as low as possible. They're going to start to push money into these different different uh, uh, <coughs> instruments. Well, uh, real estate's got to be propping up. Real estate's got to be propping up the economy pretty well. Sub three interest rates. And I mean, you know, I sold a I sold a piece of shit property. I've been just been hanging on to my in four days. Oh, did you finally dump that? Yeah, four days it took. So residential doing great. Commercial, not so good. Commercial guys, it turns out people are staying away from their office buildings. People want to have you know, new HVAC. Right. They're not using the, the, the facilities as much. Lots of cutting down is happening. The malls are all closing down. You know, so that the commercial side is really suffering. The residential, hey, you know, <laughs> we're doing good. Uh, so Fred, last uh, week, Fred, last week we, we did an article that commercial is actually fine because the really, really big companies, even though they have employees staying home, they're hedging and they're grabbing whatever they can get their hands on. I'm hoping that in two or three years, you know. Yeah, they're, they're getting it at a good deal now. Yeah. You're right. right. There's a huge asymmetry. What's happening is sort of the rich are getting richer and, and the big guys are getting bigger. And the small guys are really suffering, uh, uh, and that's that. And that's sort of you're right. So you're right. The big the big commercial guys are probably going to come through this even with flying colors. They're going to buy lots of things at fire market, at fire sale prices. But the, but overall, the industry is going to have a challenge. Yeah. And on Main Street, you can see that. You know, basically 1970, everything's you know flip 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 flip, and then we have this huge peak of unemployment, which has come back down now. Uh, by half, so we're down at about 8.4 percent U3 levels, about 16 percent still, 16 percent or so U6 levels, but you know, still got, getting better. And um, uh, it, the <laughs> one of the issues is that uh, the disease. This is largely being driven by the disease. So if you don't take the disease into account in your mo- economic modeling, chances are you're just taking a big gamble. Uh, and we'll see that over and over again. We're taking big gambles here. So it turns out quantity, quality, and timing of government Main Street stimulus injected into the economy is going to be a huge issue. And we're already seeing that now. And right now, what happened is Michigan actually did really well in this first Heroes Act, right? We, we got about $1,500 more per capita than any than the average state. We were the number one state for getting money because we got a lot of really, you know, high-powered empl- uh, employers who are doing really special uh, you know, engineering, real specialized manufacturing, you know, they're good jobs. And when they, people, people got laid off to no fault of their own, you know, we then got a lot of the stimulus package because of that. Uh, and so we did, we did, we did good. Uh, but what's ha- and so we actually, we're putting some money into savings. That's starting to come back down now. And by the middle of September, all those savings are going to be eroded. So that, at that point, people, the economy is going to take a hit. And it's going to continue to get take a hit unless we get more stimulus. Yeah, we we talked about that uh, a few weeks ago on our show that like one of the companies that had that had like a record quarter was Foot Locker, because people were taking their stimulus checks and they were taking the you know taking the extra unemployment and they were going and buying sneakers. You know, it it, it, make your own choices. It is what. (laughs) What what the, the 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 companies that did really well. Were the companies that were distant? That means they could work remotely, and and they were that were supporting even more distancing. Companies like Amazon, companies like uh, uh, like Facebook, and so on. They 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 help you distance, and they and they encourage you to do more. Distance. So, 
Well, yeah, and like like GM came across. I think GM did one of the articles we had on deck for this week was that uh, you know GM just basically said, okay, all the office workers, you're probably home, you're home through next summer, right? And uh, you know, it's it's good that they put that expectation in people's minds because I think they probably did all the math and they said, wow, this is going to take a while to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Right. No matter what happens, you'll see. Next summer isn't a bad bet. You know that, that it's probably going to take that long plus a little bit. So, um, you know, here the Fed did did a lot of the right thing. They overreacted early. It's appropriate to control exponential growth in virus. They had a disproportionate impact on the U.S. And look at the green bars. How much more the Fed injected into the economy than anybody else. The other those other smaller bars are Bank of Japan, uh, European Central Bank, uh, Bank of England. Those are the other three. And you can see the Fed just overwhelms. In terms, because you know we're a reserve currency and and we're just doing so much more. Um, what's interesting is that that the res- the response we had actually sort of reinforced again more asymmetry. So if you look at you know the the smaller black service industries that were minority controlled, they only got one percent of the total stimulus, and they represent a good portion of our economy. So it's like all these asymmetries are starting to be, you know, it's starting to be disproportionate. The, 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 the disproportionate parts are starting to even increase more than they were before because we're, you know, we're, we're trying to use our old infrastructures that were, you know, in place back in the day where we had economic problems. And we're trying to apply them to this novel virus and thinking, oh, you know, it should work about the same. Well, it doesn't because it's a novel virus and the minorities are disproportionately impacted versus the regular rest of the economy. And so now we get that asymmetry. You know, spiraling around and making it even worse than, than normal because we're using these older techniques and tools for a new problem. Well, I mean, and I think that's the that's the sad reality of. I mean, the the PPP. Like, I feel like their hearts were in the right place, and oh, and, and and they wanted to do the right thing. Um, it, it just right it just you know it just wasn't. I mean, because yeah, I mean, you've got. I mean, there, there's a story a week now about. You know, oh, Joe Smith got two million dollars by faking up some employee records, and you know the FBI just raided his house and confiscated his Lamborghini and his Ferrari that he bought last week, and yada yada. yada. And, but I mean, you know, it's and but again, I mean, and it's you know, like I say about a lot of these you know programs that are out there, there's always going to be people that take advantage of this, you know, about of stuff like this, and you can't judge the majority based on you know the the outliers that skeeve their way into being jerks. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we had we had to act really quick to do the right thing. And sometimes when you act that quick, you're going to make some you know, something's going to slip through the cracks. There's no no way around it. Uh, now we know more, and hopefully the next round will be smarter and we'll be, make it better. But we have we have ways to go. And the the other issue is, of course, the more money we pump in, the more people are saving, and so the velocity of the of the of the we call a multiplier effect in the economy isn't quite as big as we thought it was. So that's why the Fed, I think, also put in more than I was projecting. Now, this is important on the on the long long haul effect. So I was talking a little bit about that. If you look at the, if you go to Johns Hopkins website, yeah, I got we got we got more comments about the long term effect slides last time than anything. Like just Jesus, tap dancing Christ! Like <laughs> we've already been through this, right? We went through the Johns Hopkins things and more to yeah. Basically, this stuff lasts for a long time, so. Uh, and and I'm a little worried about this, right? So we'll we we we'll, we won't have to cover this again because the audience knows about this. But basically, you know, about a third of our patients are still sick, even in, in, in this, and they have stuff that we can't treat. Uh, and so they're going to have long-term chronic problems. And so you know, if you get these diseases and you still feel bad, that's that's and, and you know, two three months later, keep going to your doctor, trying to try, try to figure out what it is because you're not abnormal. Uh, it's just something that, you know, 
what's going on with COVID, sadly. So the asymmetric impacts we talked a little bit about, female versus male unemployment. Look, I mean, basically, uh, for the last you know 10 years or so, we've had quite you know similar patterns of unemployment, male versus female. All of a sudden, COVID hits, and you can see it just goes off the charts in terms of the impact on females. And that's because there, you know, uh, we, we think, now we, we don't know 100%, we've done some surveys, we think that it hit women harder than men because they work, women are more likely to work in service industries that are worsely, worse impacted. And of course, when schools are shut, they tend to take on a lot of the responsibility. I, I was going to say, obviously, then you've got the caregiver component in there too, yeah. Yeah, especially with single, sing, uh, with the single uh, uh, parent homes, that happens a lot. And of course, there's a lot more asymmetry with the, the poor die and lose their work at higher rates. The, the, the whites, the non-whites die at higher rates. And you can see that on the other parts. So we've got the economic impact again on the, uh, on the left side. Then we have the, the, the health impact on the other side. And, you know, what people say is, Oh, it's, you know, two to three times worse if you're a minority. Well, if you then age adjust that, right? Uh, all of a sudden it's actually like those getting closer to four times worse. Um, and if you look apples to apples on the populations that are getting impacted. And there is no, you know, what's interesting, we studied this pretty carefully. We have not found any host biological racial factors that can cause this kind of mortality impact. Um, so we, we're pretty sure this is all due to the social pieces, all due to the continued health care uh, that, that's happened, you know, from birth all the way through today, uh, which happens when you have untreated chronic conditions, you get more susceptible. We've got a lot of extra uh, minorities who are in the essential and service worker categories. Uh, you've got housing issues. That are where you're in more crowded communities, uh, and you've got multi-generational families who can't isolate more as easily, and you've got lots of overrepresentation in metro areas with, with difficulty with what they call social determinants of health, which are combinations of education plus the uh, uh, plus the income levels, plus the healthcare access, plus the nutritional, all those things start to come together, and it creates this kind of a problem. And um, so the rich are getting richer, and the rest of us are all getting sicker, which is a sad truth about the whole thing. So what we talked about last time was we have three kind of big strategies that we see people putting in place. So we'll move on to the strategy part. We can get lucky. And that means you have a silver bullet, right? And you have <laughs> so let's we'll call that one the lottery. The lo- this is the lottery. <laughs> the lottery is the lottery. And here we, we are betting on the number. The number says, hey, great news. you got a safe, effective cure. Vaccine can be approved four times faster than ever has happened in the history of vaccine development. And supply will be sufficient. To, to, to basically distribute to six billion people in the next two to three years. That's the lottery. If you get that, you have, uh, you've won it. Uh, and we have a big bet on that right now. Uh, and if that happens, the U.S. is going to come out, you know, smell on my shoulders. Uh, then we got the brutal, right? And that's, that's, uh, what we talked about with Sweden and some of the others where they're, we're saying it's a bet on natural immunity. This is a natural thing. Everyone will get sick. We'll get, we'll get antibodies and eventually. The antibodies will stop the disease. So it's the assumption is it's going to cost less to just let COVID run the herd right through the right through the uh, the population uh, than it will be to implement an economic shutdown. <laughs> so that's yeah. the uh, that's the GM uh, pacer uh, defense, I believe we called it. That was a uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, we get sanitizing immunity. Everything's wonderful after the after you get infection, and you better that 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 immunity better be durable. Otherwise, you got to run the herd every year. You know <laughs> that, that that gets really uh, brutal, which is why we call it the brutal uh, survival of the fittest kind of weight. And then we have the marathon, and I thought we were going to be on this path. Basically, you've got sort of a natural progression, which we've seen in the past of having some diagnostics and non pharmaceutical impacts, better hygiene. Hygiene, 
Then we move to drugs. It helps kind of control the virus a little bit. And finally, we get to a good vaccine that really ends the shutdown. And I thought that might be, you know, seven, ten years out. And unfortunately, that means we're going to have, you know, a bad economic time of it for a while. So those are the three basic strategies. And what's happened is people have placed their bets, right? Around the world, people have placed their bets. So in the United States, we think we're going to get lucky. And Russia thinks the same thing, right? With Russia, they got their Sputnik V vaccine that's out there, you know, and everything else is running. Which is, you know, so those are two really big, important economies. Both have excellent pharmaceutical capabilities. You know, okay, so for clarity, what are all the red dots? The red dots is where we have infection. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, this is where... You know, things are on fire. Gotcha. Um, so we're paying a higher price for our bet than the Russians are. Eh, but we, they might not be reporting as much as we are either, frankly. You know? So then they have the brutal strategy. You can see the brutal guys are basically South America and India. And they just said, we can't afford. You know, we got a lot of young people. We're going to let this go run its course. Uh, you know, our average age is 15. People won't, a lot of people won't die. So and, and our, our economies need to have work. We need to keep going. So we're going to we're going to go with brutal. Uh, and Sweden did that too. You know, they said we're, you know, we think we, we can protect the guys who are really old. We think we can uh, get everybody sick enough, fast enough that we're going to get herd immunity. And then the last part, the yellow dots, and those are the guys who are going the marathon. Those are the guys who have, you know, big infrastructures in place. They're doing testing. They're doing, uh, they're doing uh, lots of, uh, of you know, hygiene. They've got masks for everybody every day, uh, and they're and, and they they're very careful, very careful about what they're what they're doing. Uh, they have lots of import export. Uh, you can't go in there very easily if you come from a, from a, from from the United States, for example. They're t- shut down largely to us uh, because they're worried about us moving our 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 bet over to them. <laughs> basically, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been working pretty hard on going over there and spending yeah. lots of money doing that, and then you got some guy from the United States saying, "Hey, well, let's take a look at all this." Yeah, I mean, you you, you don't invite the guy that's already puking at the bar back to your house for another drink. You just uh, just no, you don't. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of the right effect, yeah, exactly. So that's where we are. And uh, interesting, there's some African states that have, you know went through Ebola, and they're being really careful too. So that's sort of where we are with the world. And now. I thought we could kind of, here's some lessons learned. Number one, the countries that have gone through pandemics recently, they've, they've actually come through pretty well, right? I mean, we hear about the Koreans, we hear about the Taiwanese, and they, that's because you know, they had SARS and they had a lot of other pandemics that were sort of threatening, that H1N1, swine flu, all those things went through. And so they're kind of used to responding. Well, I was going to say, and I, and I think we we talked about this probably a, a, couple, a couple of times ago when you were on was... You know, part of the issue with our response is that, you know, SARS just kind of petered out in Canada before it came to us. So we were like, eh, we'll be fine. Enough to take care of it for us. We'd be yeah. great. Right? <laughs> Good neighbor. Excellent. Unfortunately, we're, we're one of these countries lacking recent pandemic experience. And so we're, we're going up a pretty steep learning curve. I'm working with mayors and governors of all kinds of different states. And it doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if I'm working with countries that are, you know, dictatorships or democracies. I, I, I try to help everybody. And, uh, you know, if you're in one of those states that has, is not used to doing this, you're having some challenges. You know, that's just the way it is. And that generally countries that take a unified national approach did better than the, than the countries that were uh, more regional because they couldn't uh, get the scale of learning and the scale of, of the manufacturing in place. So that's sort of the big lessons learned. And this is what's happened. Basically, I think our biggest risk, and I work, you know, I, I, <laughs> I work all, all over the place. 
I don't even know what this says yet, but every time I see a, a graph with a curve like this from you, I just clench. I just <laughs> <laughs> so nature is basically just relentless, right? I mean, it's going to fill in every pore, every cavity, everything you miss. That's going to be there. It's just going to. It's just going to. You know, be on top of you. So if you leave a, a stone unturned, it's going to fill it fill it in for you. And so if you and and basically, I think that people are just getting tired out. You know, they're just saying enough of this. You know, I, I want to go out. I want to have my wife. I want to just do my stuff. I'm not going to. You know, let me go out to the restaurant and have have a beer with my friends. And this is our actually probably our biggest risk is this fatigue factor. And you can see basically. Uh, as a world, this is the real graph of real cases every day. You can see the scale. We're up at, you know, closing in on 30 million. And we have not controlled this thing at all. It's having our way with, it's having its way with us. You know, we're, we're basically losing this war on a, on a global basis. We're definitely losing this war, right? I mean, well, yeah. And, 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 you know, like you were, ju- you were just talking about, you know, the, the fatigue syndrome. And, and, I, and I've seen that with, I mean, I got, I have it sometimes, um, you know, and it's, you know, but I've seen it with a lot of my friends and that kind of stuff. Like, how, I mean, that's just a psychological issue. How do you even try to combat that? Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting articles about how, you know, trying to get reset, you know, go, go, you know, and, and on an individual basis, it's, it's, you know, it's taking stock. It's being able to meditate. It's taking breathing lessons. Some people put, put their head in an ice bucket, kind of reset their whole, you know, that's an individual on a societal level. It's, you know, doing networking work and, and trying to, you know, find purpose at a, at a societal level and, and keeping up the social capabilities. Uh, and it's hard for some people who don't have the technology in place to do that safely or, uh, who are, um, you know, kind of like young, especially young people. You know, I feel so, sorry for them. They're, they're building the networks or, you know, getting, you know, they're learning new stuff about the, the social environment and this is just getting in the way of that. So. Oh yeah, I mean my uh, my kids will um, quote unquote meet their teachers tomorrow via a drive through the parking lot and like waving and saying hi. I mean that's crazy yeah, to me. And and you know for the for the for the kids that must be really a bummer, right? I mean, and I'm teaching this year, and it's just completely different vibe. It's not fun. It's, you know, you sort of sit there and have a TV. It's just miserable. So at any rate, um, that so fatigue is our big big risk. Now in the, now let's focus on the United States. So the United States, what, what the conclusion to this was, nature is relentless. And so you got to have a strategy. If you don't have a strategy with nature, you're going to get beat up bad. So here's what's happened in the United States, I think. This is sort of my analysis. Basically, we have offsetting strategies. So the United States federal government bet, and they're implementing this extremely well, is we're going to get lucky. We're going to hit the lottery. We're going to bet on vaccines. It's an all-out bet. And we're going to get lucky and everything's going to be great because it doesn't really matter what happens at the state level. You guys do go ahead and do whatever you want because we're going to have a vaccine and we're going to be, we're going to overcome. Okay. So what's the, what's the shading here? Yes. So the, the, uh, the, the, the green, light green are the marathon vets, right? New York, they've got very careful testing. They put in infrastructures. They've got hospital expansions there. Uh, you know, they, they, they went in and got lots of H1N1. They've got supplies up the wazoo. They've got hygiene here. They're, you know, every store. Okay. I need, I need a sanity check. Like that's purple, right? Not green. The ring. That's green. The oh, the ring. No, I'm, I'm at the, I'm sorry. I meant the actual shading of coloring on the United States map itself, not the circles. Oh, that's where you have breakouts. Okay. These are breakout areas. Yeah. Uh, this is a few, this is about a month ago, uh, but it's still pretty accurate. Um, and then, then you got the blues. The blues are the brutal bets, right? You got Florida, DeSantis is saying, go for it. Just, you know, keep things open. Everything's going to be fine. Keep pushing. South Carolina, same thing. Uh, Iowa, same Ernst, which is blowing up right now. 
South Dakota, same thing. Just keep going, keep pushing. And so what's interesting is those brutal bets, because we have so much flow back and forth between states for a more single country, people are driving back and forth. My, my niece from Iowa just stopped by to see me in Detroit on the way to Boston because she's going back to school, you know, and she was here on Saturday. And, and you know, Iowa has a 22% positivity rate. She was, we got a, you know, 3% positivity rate. So she's a great vector to come right through our state uh, and affect everybody. And that happens all the time, right? We, you know, we're seeing people. So what's happening is we have these offsetting strategies. So as a result of having offsetting state level strategies, we got nothing. We don't have a strategy because everyone's sort of counteracting each other. Well, I mean, and, and we've seen it, you know, and we've seen it here where, okay, yeah, you know, I live in southeast Michigan and the bars are closed. I'm driving 30 minutes to head down to Ohio where the bars are open. Why not? Or I'm, I'm okay, Detroit, everything's on lockdown. Traverse City is open. I'm going to drive up there and hang out for the weekend. Great. <laughs> so, and that, so those are what's, ha- that's what really happened in the United States. We had, you know, we have a federal strategy, it's getting lucky, and then everything else is just offsetting each other. And the problem with not having a strategy when you're up against nature that's that's just relentless is that you can't focus your resources. All these resources are extremely confined. The number of N95 masks we got, the number of vaccines we're going to have, all, the, all those resources are really confined. And so we don't have a way to, to really distribute it appropriately. Decision-making super slow because you can't make it. Everything's confused. You're not sure which way you're going. You don't know what to measure anymore. There's nothing consistent. Your economy is a scale. I can't tell you how many mayors I go and see, and they you got to start over with them, explaining exactly what numbers they need to you know, collect and why that's important and what to monitor. And you know, every time I'm going to a new state, and they're saying, well, "What do you mean, positivity?" <laughs> Fred, Fred, be honest. How many how many times a day do you shake your head? How many? Just have. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we don't, and so all this stuff means that basically um, we're we're just. Sort of wallowing and 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 you know tide is setting you one way and the wave and the wind setting you another and you're just sort of rocking in the boat and getting sick and that's what's happening to us right now and which is you know it's okay if the big government bet pays off you know but it's not okay if that big government bet doesn't pay off so that's what we're going to look at next so if you think about fighting nature that we need a strategy there are two kind of big strategies right we've got sort of the the hunter-gatherer strategy, and the guys go out every day and they you know hunt, and they and, and the women help them, with, you know, kind of killing, uh, 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 killing stuff, and and basically all the decisions are delegated to the individual. Individuals tend to counteract each other. There's no real resolving strategy. You don't really prioritize much, and so what happens? There's there's lots of reinvention and and, and, and no no real learning, and there's no scale. So what happens is you get a steady buildup of COVID. On the other side, you've got the kind of the careful agrarian society that's very, you know, cultivates its stuff and focuses its resources and they have mutually supportive investments and returns. And, and what happens there is we hit the thing hard, you know, as a combined, as a combined, you know, society. And then we try to manage the little, the little ripples that happen later. So those are the two big ways we have to fight. And if you think about that, and that's sort of the general thing. And then there's disaster remediation, right? And for, for, for some kinds of disasters, like hurricanes that go through, fires that come through, you sort of have a one big peak of a disaster, and then nothing in the, nothing beforehand, nothing afterwards, you clean it all up, you bring in FEMA, everything's cool, right? So it's a big peak of a response, and then it's done. The other kinds of disasters are much longer-term chronic disasters, like the biological ones. It's slowly to start like this, slow, 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 and then they just take off logarithmically. Uh, or the climatological ones, which, which are going to, you know, we're, we're trying to fight as well. 
And there, after each event, which are progressive, you want to kind of you know continue to ratchet it down so you can't keep it in control. That's sort of the test and response, guided response, and so on, right? The longer haul, haul you, to do this, you usually have you have to have new multifaceted tool sets to do it right. So what happens is, let's combine those, right? So the U.S. we have the kind of um, uh, hunter gatherer overall slow growth, so we have lack of strategy there. So we have a steady buildup of growth in the background. It's happening, and then every once in a while, it's peaked by a big outbreak. Oh crap! You know, New York's on fire. Oh no, Florida and Texas and California having trouble, right? And so we have a big event, big event, and that's what our our pattern looks like in China and and Europe. What it looked like was a big event, and then a hard shutdown strategy that controls after the first spike, and then you have to, you know sort of little lumps afterwards. So what does that combined look like? It looks like this, right? Here's the US model, and here's the Chinese and European model. And if you look, if you look, if you look at that top one, that's the US model. Well, that was what we thought would happen. And here's the actual, right? <laughs> so we have a steady increase in the background, and we got little, you know, we got New York there, peak of New York, and peak of Texas and Arizona, right? That's exactly what it looks like. So, and here's I, I, I get like here's the sad reality of this, and I and I think I'm interpreting this correctly, and and just based on where we are as a society at the moment, like like the the cat's out of the bag. Like, there's no way right now that we could go back and say, or like, hey, you know what? That hard shutdown thing was a great idea. Let's go ahead and do that now. Six months in, like that that just that's just not feasible. Well, uh, so. <laughs> What's interesting about the hard shutdown is the uh, we've had a lot of theoretical guys look at the the hard shutdown, right? Because we it, it cost us a lot of money, and you know uh, trillions of dollars, literally. And so University of Chicago did a big study, Northeastern University did a big study. These guys are smart guys, and they do kind of standard models of does it work? Did it pay off? And their answer was that shutting down actually, in terms of of saving productivity. Uh, and the economy overall, that shutdown actually was two to five times more effective than if we hadn't shut down. So it's sort of interesting that you think it was a disaster, but in fact, when you really run all the economics, counterintuitively, maybe, and admittedly, it's pretty academic, but their calculations are that we actually did pretty well by shutting down when we did. No, and, and, I, and I get that, but I mean, like, but it, I mean... I, I keep going like because I'm I'm just trying to think and it it does it seems I was laughing with it like do you remember like Tiger King was like six months yeah. ago like not even six That's months right. ago yeah, so like yeah. like cor- I- like quarantine just has completely different meanings for people now um, but so like just trying to think back to like six months ago and okay yeah it was a shutdown but it wasn't really a it like like I don't like I don't think like when I think of a hard sh- like I don't think we ever really had a hard shutdown like I like when I think of a hard shutdown I think. Dude, the Seven Eleven at the end of my street is closed. Uh, you know, because I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, like, just where we were as a society, the grocery stores were still open, which meant that the you know the the shipping people still had to you know they they were still open in manufacturing and transportation, and then you had you know they, so I mean it, it, we didn't really what I would think of as a hard shutdown. I don't think we went through here. A lot yeah. of people, a lot of people would say we did, and so that's why I question that terminology for for the U.S. in particular. Yeah, and, and and you know you're right. If, if you on a they have scales for shutdown, and we and it kind of behavioral scales. It says you know, how shutdown really really. And we were about 45. We were sort of in the middle of the shutdown spectrum. Uh, really, really shutdown societies when you're 90 plus. That means you let one family member out of your house 
for uh, half an hour a week to go shopping and walk the dog. And that's the only reason you go out of your house. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a shutdown. And if you turn out to have uh, COVID, they take you out of your house and put you physically into uh, a, a different facility where you're completely isolated from everybody. That's the Chinese level. So you know, that, that's a 90% shutdown. That, we didn't right. have that. So uh, see, we, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, would we have? Yeah, we may not have wanted it, but you know, it's it's the it's the solution you need, not the solution you want. It's the biggest issue we, that I've got with our strategy is that we've been focusing on these local outbreaks. It's, oh my gosh, you know, we got a problem. It's sort of like children's soccer. Oh, there's the ball over there, and everyone runs over to the ball over there, and no one's thinking that. <laughs> That's outstanding. Yep. <laughs> shutting down the, the little thing right in their area, and they're not thinking about the bigger picture. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, kids' soccer and hockey, just the little bubble of people following the ball. Around, yeah. Barking the ball. And the, the problem is the big, the big picture is that is that black line. It's what's happening really. And the real truth is we're not controlling this thing. So these peaks and valleys and all that other stuff, that's all a bunch of you know interesting stuff that obscures the real picture. And the real picture is this black line. And what, Hey, Fred? Uh, yes. Now, what I hear, what I'm hearing, and tell me if this is like BS or not, but I'm trying to follow different sources to try to come to, you know, everybody says spins it different. But yes, they said, yes, the cases are still growing. Hospitalizations are in the toilet. Deaths are almost minimal right now or as low as they've ever been because younger people are getting it and they're asymptomatic. So that's right. But they're, they're counting them as cases. So we give it a plus one. But in the grand, I guess the big picture, you got, you know, because we always try to, I try to look at hospitalizations, you know, I try yeah. to look at death count. I try to look at the different things that like, you know, so I guess where, yes, we're looking at real growth, but I guess talk to me about, am I right? Or are those, you know, in terms of deaths and everything else being like minimal right now? Yeah. So, so, uh, yes. So deaths are, uh, well, and uh, this is, this is new cases a day. So this is case, this is case, uh, case, uh, 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 incidents. Uh, on the next slide, I'll show you death death, death incident. Okay, but you can see what happened was well. And I think I think part of that was what you were just talking about earlier. With we know more now, and so if you if you check yeah. into the hospital with it, it's not as dire as it was back then. Yeah, we we we, we yeah we we do know a lot more now. Now what what's what's interesting about about what you were saying about was um, what happened was um, that on the caseload. If you, it's these plateaus, these flattening. If you look at where we were in June, that was sort of our minimum, right? And we were at around 20,000 cases a day, which is, you know, that compares to Europe where they were down in the, you know, 50 cases a day. So you were, were orders of magnitude, you know, above what we should have been. But if you go to the next plateau, we're at 40,000 cases a day. See how that, the, the plateaus are getting steep, you know, higher and higher each time. So we're, we're solving the, so these, the next plateau, that's at September 1st. You can see it's sort of flattening out now. And that's going to flatten for a little while. It'll be at 40,000 cases a day, maybe 35. But, but our, our low on the plateau in June was 20,000. So we're, 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 we're double the baseline for the next outbreak to hit. And that's what's starting to get a little bit scary, right? So now, and these peaks and valleys are sort of obscuring the fact that we've got relentless growth underneath the whole system. So here is what's going. So now, now the question is about deaths. And you're right. This is a, you know, I'm more, most interested in deaths because I think that shows how, how good we're doing at the whole thing and uh, 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 whole, you know, as a whole. Um, and you can see our max death rate uh, was about 2,700. 
Uh, it happened in May. It was a data outlier. We really hit max max death, uh, max date, or, or, uh, April 10th. Um, but you know, we had slowness in reporting and so on. And you can see every once in a while we have to add a yellow line in there because we have many deaths that we suddenly said, oh, that, that could not be COVID. If you look at China's deaths, it went up. And then that yellow line just went like 20 times higher because they were underreporting for the whole time of October, November, and December. And they just all of a sudden they put everything in and were honest about it in about February, that I recall. So all of a sudden we realized, holy cow, this thing is like 15 times more. Well, it's, it's about three times more deadly than we thought it was because we were looking at Chinese data and thinking, well, you know, we're going to get to the peak soon and we weren't getting the peak. And that was because the local wasn't the, you know, the central government, it was actually the local government guys, the, the bureaucrats who were sort of worried about reporting all this stuff. And they sort of, so we're goes, trusting, so we're trusting their numbers now. I, uh, right now, uh, I, 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 am working with a few of these scientists uh, from China and I do trust their, their numbers at a, at a high level. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it certainly, October, uh, the, the, the problem really was October, November, December, when they should have been reporting this stuff and they weren't. And that really threw us off. Uh, as you know, President Trump keeps reporting back to they, you know, these guys sort of, you know, caught us with our pants down because they weren't, weren't reporting the real, the real, the real facts. Um, and that, you know, that, 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 there's some truth to that. We made some mistakes too. So, so you know, we're we're all we're all you know we're, when you, when the problem's this big, trust me, there's more than one person making problem. Making well, yeah, and I, and I think that's part of the issue. You know, just talking about numbers in general is you you know, every week again, once a week, there's a story. Oh such and such labs screwed things up and, you know, contaminated a, an entire batch of test results. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard for people to know what they should be trusting or not. Yeah. And th- these are the best numbers we've got. And there are going to be some, you know, some data challenges. And you can see the weekend, they don't report enough. And then it pops up on Mondays or that, that terrible, you know. So that's why we take the seven-day average and that, that black line is pretty accurate. It's re- for us, it's pretty accurate. So, what do you think is going to happen next? Do you, you think we're going to be sort of plateauing at a thousand a day? You think we're going to be going down at five hundred a day? I think we're going to be looking like Europe at less than fifty a day by the end of December. Those are the kind of the options that it's pretty reasonable to expect, right? No, it's yeah. only six percent of that, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Sorry. <laughs> Unfortunately. Most of the modelers think that we're have to watch that that trend line that's going like this. Remember, I talked about exponential growth, right? Coming, and well, we think it's more like this. Yike! And it's not quite as bad as 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 some of the other models. Some of the other models coming out with you know four hundred thousand deaths by December thirty first, and they might be right. I might be underestimating. It depends on. It depends on a lot of things. I was going to uh, say, so I, 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 yeah, like I'm, I'm assuming the next slide gets into why, because, because yeah, why? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we think that we're going to be up close to five thousand. At least my models indicate that at the end of the year we could be at five thousand deaths a day, and that's a, you know that's twice as many deaths per day that we were having uh, at our max in April, um, and that was a pretty bad period of time. And we could be, and we're likely to be over three hundred thousand deaths. Um, and this is what I, this was my projection, you know, it, uh, on August 1st. So, you know, we'll, you know, I was projecting this already for some time, but I wanted to let things settle in to see whether I, I was feeling good. And I, you know, okay, well, let's, let's see what happens. And you can, a lot of other groups are coming up with the same thing now also. In fact, their numbers are jumping higher than mine even. But um, at any rate, uh, the reasons. The, the reasons are that... <laughs> The reasons are 
that we don't actually, we're not in control of the virus. Uh, on a fundamental baseline black line that I showed you before, uh, we're just not in control. And so that, that is likely going to expose us to exponential growth. And we think that exponential growth is probably going to happen around Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to start to really feel the, the push from Thanksgiving to Christmas and then into around the middle of January. Um, and then of course, uh, we have the November move inside. We've got the politics where we've got uh, the election and either a lame duck or, a, or a President Trump being reelected and saying, nope, keep going with the, with the old strategy. We have, a, I have a mandate now. Um, the flu season is going to add to the challenges, although it's going to be less than we think, I think, because we're washing our hands so much. We're having more rationing. Uh, we have an override here, the vaccine, and the real chance is that we could start to depend so much on the vaccine, we move into a brutal strategy saying, let's just wait for the vaccine, let things run. So that's what's back, causing that whole thing. So our forecast is a pretty bad winter, right? The good news is that we could get things, make things better on our own, with our own behavior if we start to uh, wear masks more often, and uh, but there's still a big divide there. Uh, the viral migration is going to move from hotspots to big regions, and the virus is going to spread into the countryside where our healthcare infrastructure aren't as good. The big issue here is that once you get to seven to 9,000 deaths a day, you're going to start to overwhelm the entire hospital infrastructures. And at, that's the point where the rest of the country says, wait a minute, this is out of control. Right now, as long as people stay in hospitals, people think things are pretty much in control. As soon as people start to over, as soon as you start to see, you know, ambulances backing up, lots of refrigerator trucks, you know, piling uh, up. Right. Then people start to say, you know, this could impact me and it's, and, and I, and, uh, I, I want to be able to go to the hospital. And so I'm going to be upset if I can't. That's going to happen at seven to nine thousand cases a day. At that point, we're going to have a lot of. Well, I mean, you know, to, to Bob's point, I mean, I think that's one of the very first things that I learned from, I, I mean, your, your first, you know, appearance here with us was to ignore the number counts, um, but pay attention to the hospitalization rates and, 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 you know, utilizations and all that kind of stuff, because that's, that's truly where the issues are going to hit if they're going to hit. Yeah. And I think we're going to have, you know, it's going to sort of bumble along in September and bumble along in October. We might have a little uh, blip in a couple of weeks because of Labor Day, but it's not going to be that bad. And then middle of October, end of October, things are going to start getting into a challenge. And by, you know, end of November, it'll be bad. Well, I was going to say, and, and is like, is some of that, I mean, I, you know, like I said, you know, we've got schools opening up, um, you know, the holiday season, you're looking at, you know, kids that may have gone off to school that are coming back home. They've been at the parties and all that kind of stuff. And now they're bringing that back with them. Cause it, you know, it's, you know, like you've said since day one, the whole, you know, you're asymptomatic. That's great. That doesn't mean you don't have it. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're passing more than the mashed potatoes to grandpa. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what, yeah, that's exactly right. So now we'll go into some new stuff. What, what's, the, what's the result of all this? And we, we talked a little bit about the three things you can do. You can get social distancing. That's sort of level one. You can get drugs. You can get vaccines. So here are the grades. You know, I, was, I was talking to Harvard, and then so well, here, are, here are the grades, right? And basically, we're on academic probation. <laughs> here, here, we got, we've gone through the first semester. and I feel, like we're, I feel like we're on double top secret probation at this point. Maybe I feel like <laughs> And some things have gone really good, like the partying has been on really great. I've, I've joked, the vaccine management, we've done really well. And uh, now we have to make sure we can implement. We'll, see, we'll take a look at that in detail. Drug management, uh, sort of average, a little below average, frankly. Uh, selection of, of, of reproductive technologies, that's been pretty good, except uh, our clinical trial regulatory management, we haven't been managing our, our, our studies very well, and our market management has been kind of miserable uh, also. So, you know, eh, you know, we're, we're still passing, but barely. 
The interesting area is the NPI management. That's really what we have to work with right now. That's things like testing and washing your hands and you know the boring stuff, right? It's not really high technology. It really is, it turns out, but we've been ignoring that. Um, we'll get into that in a while. Uh, that's a fundamental fail. We just haven't been doing that well at all. IT management, we've been doing pretty well, right? And device management, we've been doing, if you're a, ma- if you're a manufacturer in the space, you've been doing really well for yourself, but uh, you're under ethics review. Because <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, supply and demand, yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of the grades. So let's take a look at the different areas. So, so, so now, now we're getting into the, a lot of the detail, right? The first part of the detail is mask wearing and, and PPE. If, so in order to do NPI, which is non-pharmaceutical uh, interventions, um, not drugs, not vaccines, but just the masks, it's the gloves, it's the hygiene, it's the testing, you have to have that overlapping because any one of those technologies alone isn't going to be sufficient to control it. So you have to have, if you're a business person or if you're working at a place, you want to have all these things working in concert. Otherwise, you're going to fail to control the virus. And so if you look at the way we're controlling the virus, we've got two big issues. Again, so for example, Taiwan. Taiwan has had seven deaths. <laughs> and they have a lot of, they have a lot of traffic between Taiwan, Taipei and Wuhan. These guys are, they got, they have a lot of tra- traffic between China and, and Taiwan. And they're able to control this. And the reason they're able to control this is because on day two, after they found their first case, they said every citizen gets an N95 mask every day. For fifty cents, period, and so every and, and so they actually had a lot of this material. They, they were shipping out to 3M and France and the United States, and they said, "Nope, no more shipping to France, no more shipping to the United States. That's ours. We're going to make N95 masks until and, and when we make N95 masks, we have to have a little bit extra. Then it goes to the United States. So they have the very best mask technology, and they wear them. They don't wear them, you know, half the time. They wear them all the time. They wear. I mean, we're talking all, all the time, and it's just a social thing that everyone's wearing their masks all the time. So they're wearing a better technology and they're doing it better and they're doing it more compliantly than we are. I say when you ever, if you ever travel to Japan, Fred, like every time I was in public transportation, everyone wore my grandpa's sanding mask, you know, and it was, and you'd always look at them funny. Um, But yeah, maybe they knew something we did. Taxi drivers, they all have a mask. And and they were probably looking at you funny, Bob, because you weren't. Well, the, even like, do you ever, uh, like a Tokyo taxi, you never touch the handle. They had uh, fresh, fresh doilies yep. on the seats. Uh, you didn't shut the door; they shut it for you. Like it was a very, uh, yeah, not touchy, no germy um, environment. Yeah, uh, yeah it was. Yeah, it, that, and 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 Taiwan is like that. And uh, and if you look at Korea, they didn't do masks so well, but they did test and trace like at a at a world class level. They they test everybody every half. You know, they they get turnarounds in half an hour. They te- they have testing facilities all over the all over the areas that are having outbreaks that they really test. So they also have very low death rates because they do some things with better test technology more often with greater compliance than we do in Korea. So you can get a sense that, you know, with NPI alone, the way we're behaving right now, we're not going to, we're not going to cut it in terms of really controlling COVID. So here is, is that adherence is really important. This is an example. Uh, this, this is sitting in every office at University of Michigan Health System. On the, on the right. Basically, if you're wearing a mask, you can see the possibility of transmission is 70%. If you're sick and you're breathing on someone who's healthy wearing a mask, that healthy person has a 70% chance of getting sick. So the problem of not having really good technology is you're risking the healthy people. The sick people are, you know, they're going to be okay. You, you know, if, if the sick person wears the mask, 
the transmission level goes way down. If you have an N95 mask, you got no tran- chance of transmission in either direction. And wow, have them, and we don't. So now, like I know you, you had mentioned. I think the last time you were in, you talked about like. Um, like timing and duration and that kind of stuff being a key. So when, when you say a COVID carrier without a mask has a 70% chance of infecting a healthy person, like over what time frame? Like, is that a two minute conversation in the hallway? Is that a, no, no, this is a, this is a, a longer than 15 minute conversation. Okay. Uh, uh, and, and you're in an enclosed area. Hey, Fred. Yes. What's the risk with a crown Royal bag? Is there one? Yeah. <laughs> So it depends. If it's fleece, it actually could actually cause a greater dispersion of the of the virus. And I was like, I, I was like, yeah, we talked about this last time, Bob. That's that's the worst possible mask for you to be wearing. That's yeah. That's the only one I'm wearing. Uh, great. So you're it you're is, you're just very fashionable though. I, I like the fashion. So, and and that's the issue with NPI, right? It, it it if you've got a log two kill hygiene versus a log seven hygiene, well, log two means you're killing everything. You're killing if you have a hundred germs, you kill ninety nine of them. With a single dose of the of of the of the bacteria side or or the of the of the, of the vaccine killer, if you got a log seven, it's one in ten million survivors. Now the problem is right now, we got a lot of great log kill seven solutions. We don't have any spray bottles for them. We don't have any wipes for them. So we're sitting there with the some of the best technology in the world, but our supply chains aren't. And we'll get into that in a second. I've never I've and, never heard that expression before the log two and log seven kill did i'm what is what is that did i miss that in class so was i asleep during that portion? <laughs> yeah so log two is 10 to 10 to the 10 to that power so the kill rate if you're talking about a kill rate that means 100 right log 10 to second is 100 10 to the seventh you know you're talking about 10 million that's a you're killing a lot more germs when you kill 10 million when you only kill 100 and these technologies make a difference and we don't have the best technologies that won't play anymore. And we'll talk a little bit about why right now. So what happened was with our supply chains is we, we, uh, we try to use our existing technology and our existing supply chains to cure a brand new disease state, right? And so the free market works pretty well if your supply is, say, five, and you want to move to a supply of six because your demand increases. So if you want to increase, you know, supply by 10%, 15%, 20%, you know, you can adjust that with price and do pretty well, increase your capacity over time, everything's going to be fine. That is great for free market. But in our case, our demand for this MPI stuff, our demand for masks, went from one to 50 You can't expand your supply chain fast enough to, to meet the demand, right? You can't go from one to fifty. Well, I mean, I think we saw that with toilet paper. I mean, that's uh, you know, <laughs> that's, the <only> that's <laughs> a worse example. But in this case, it's continuous. We just can't. You know, the problem is that we actually need fifty x uh, toilet paper. We don't probably need. Well, of course, we're we're, we're <laughs> we right expanding a little bit more than normal, but but not that much more than normal. But in this case, you actually need this stuff. In order to save yourself, and so that's a real demand, and and so basically, uh, if you look at masks, it was a fifty x fifty x increase. If you look at if you look at you know alcohol swabs and rubs, it was about a fifteen x fifteen times more we needed for alcohol and hand washing 
and 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 seventy percent alcohol uh, scrub. For gloves, it was about a about about a twenty times more. We even got twenty times more gloves than we than we originally had. When you talk about that level of, of of demand increase, you just can't handle it. And so, in the United States, so in other countries, what they did is they said, "We are going to increase the supply. We're going to cut off everybody else. We're going to increase the supply." The United States said, "No, no, no, no. We can go out and compete. We're rich. We're going to go buy this stuff up." But national governments came in and said, "No, it's not available." Like well, yeah, you can't buy it if nobody's selling. Yeah. That's the problem. Right? So, and furthermore, we couldn't increase our our demand that uh, our supply that fast, even if we wanted to. So, the first thing we did is we said uh, we're going to suppress the demand. So, tell everybody the masks don't work. The N95 masks only now, now. Then they said, oh, it does. Turns out N95 masks do work, but they're really only for healthcare workers. They need them. Everyone else shouldn't have them. They said test only if you have symptoms, right? Then they released all. Then they delayed all the CDC guidance that was going to increase the demand for for all this stuff. Uh, and then they said the vaccine is coming, and that so that they basically suppressed our demand. And they said from now on, only healthcare workers can have this. Well, when I got to the healthcare workers, they realized they still didn't have nearly enough. They were still down by a factor of eight or nine. So the next thing they did is they rationed it. They said to the healthcare guys, "You can have. Here's your mask. I know you need 15 of these today, but you get one for the week, and we'll wash it for you and clean it for you and figure it out." But we're going to suppress the demand. We're going to say, and and furthermore, FEMA might take all your masks away because they have an outbreak in, in, in Florida somewhere. Right. I mean, and I mean that's masks and that line don't work, but we definitely need them for something else. Right. <laughs> well, and I mean, I th- I think that's what I heard from you know friends that were in you know there that were on COVID floors that were in the healthcare oh, yeah. industry. That yeah, I mean, they would get one a week that they had to make. Put it in a bag and give to you know, try to use the UV light and hope that it works. Right. It's got issues because it's got, you know, at any rate. Uh, and then you start to overlap sort of mediocre. You wear some garbage bags instead of the nice sewn gowns that are coming in from China that aren't available anymore. So that's the next stage, right? And all of a sudden, we ration demand. And the last part, which was really frustrating, is that we actually limited the supply increase. All the guys who are already in the business, and like like the mask makers today or the hygiene makers said, you know, we can take care of it. Trust us. You know, we're going to increase our, so like for masks, 3M said we're going to move from 200 million masks a year to 1 billion. We're going to increase by a factor of five. Just give us till the end of the year. The problem is we needed 10 times that on day three. And they wanted until the end of the year to give us one tenth of what we really needed. So, and so all these you know, manufacturers that were in place said, we want to protect our markets. This thing could be here today, gone tomorrow, and all of a sudden we got millions of people manufacturing masks all over the place. It's going to kill our marketplace. So please don't, you know, increase the capacity too much, too fast, or we're going to destroy these markets. And so they didn't make any investments in destructive technologies because it wasn't in their interest. They had sort of a minor sort of industry restructuring, again, proof scale, but minor. They were sort of, let's agree on what the supply will be so we can kind of push the demand to meet that supply. There was sort of a, a wink, wink, and say, okay, we'll do that at the state level and the federal level. They and they per- basically picked winners and losers, and they and they basically preserved their markets. And every once in a while, when I was out there trying to you know buy masks for outbreak areas in, in states, and I was doing this regularly, uh, and I still am for some places that are really hard hit. You call up and you say, you know, we're we're good for you know thirty thousand masks coming in, you know, the airport today, right? Oh, yep. Oh, sorry, FEMA just took that away. Right. Uh, you're a, and, and so what happened was everyone started hoarding it so they wouldn't get surprised. 
I even had, you know, governors go to airports and meet airplanes at the gate, making sure they're there were quite a few stories of that. Yep. <laughs> so that's how, 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 and, and, it, and, and it turns out that the, all these guys have long-term fulfillment contracts. So if you want to have white paper, there's certain kinds of paper that are really good for whites and, you know, Clorox and Lysol have those contracts with the two manufacturers of these white manufacturers, you know, like, uh, like, uh, 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 like Lons is one of them because you want to have certain kinds of fibers that are just so and, and, and you know adhere to the adhere to the chemical just so and have sort of a texture that's right and you get just about the right amount of fluid. It turns out it's pretty complicated, you, you know, the absorption rate of, uh, and how much you're getting down on. Well, that. yeah, I mean, I think we're all familiar. You know, I mean, it's the you know, oh yeah, you can buy the brand name or you can get the generic, and you know, yeah, yeah, the generic yeah. might not quite hold up as well. Yeah, yeah, you might, they might dry out pretty quick. So and that. So all those guys are in long-term contracts, and they're fulfilling their long-term contracts at the expense of all these new manufacturers. That say, "Hey, we got this COVID stuff. Wouldn't you like to use it?" No, we don't. Sorry, you know, we'll see you in a couple of years because we're all set. And this is what's really happening on the ground in a lot of these critical areas right now, and and um, you know, uh, we're, we're we're paying for it uh, with the death death rate. So here's an example of what's going on with testing, for example. I, I ran part of this area when I was at Roche and, and with Beringer uh, uh, Runheim. Uh, and basically, there are two big incumbent technologies. There's PCR technology and there's, uh, uh, there's a point of care technology. The PCR technology basically is a very advanced central laboratory technology. It takes a long time to turn around. That's the swabs that you put in your nose. And, and uh, they, they cost quite a bit. Uh, and uh, they're very, very accurate. They're, they're, they're the best technology we've got out there. I helped introduce a lot of this uh, piece uh, of, of this technology. And there are four big labs in the country that do this, right? Two of them are very large, uh, Lab Corp and Quest. And they got a couple, two, two little ones. And that's all. But we actually have 50 other labs that could be involved. The problem is that these are cowpaths. It turns out that it isn't just the lab and the technology. It's also the distribution system and how fast you can get the samples in and out, whether you're running 24 by, you know, 24 by 7. Right. Really, all that stuff. So what happens is you start to say, in order to really know and control the virus, you want to have, be able to test every day and find out what your status is. And if you find out that your status is either sick, you'll stay home and get, and, get, and get well. If you're not sick, you can go out and everyone else will be well too, and you can go on with your life. Well, the kinds of technologies that we need to invest in are very different than the kinds of technologies that are available. The kinds of disruptive technologies that allow us to, to actually get very, very fast results at a very low cost every day with high accuracy and can be administered without having a phlebotomist standing by to take your blood or some fancy lab technician to actually run the test who's you know, got a PhD in, 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 lab, in, in, in chemistry. You want to just do this at home? You want to do LISPR, CRISPR, or laminar flow kind of technologies. Those are the best technologies to do that. But no, they, these, these entrenched competitors have no interest in the new stuff. Because they're just trying to get by with their, their well, yeah, yeah, nobody wants to see their replacement come along and make them obsolete. I mean, that. <laughs> and COVID isn't the only thing you're testing for. You're testing for all the blood, all the urine. You're testing. You're doing all those kind of tests, and you're saying, "Gosh, this COVID thing could screw up my entire business here if I don't be careful." So I, you know, I'll suppress those technologies, and I'll keep trying to, you know, sort of play with what I've got and do the best I can. But fundamentally, it's it's really hurting us, and it's avoiding. Keep getting this thing in control. 
Um, and they're all, and so there are all sorts of these new technologies that are out there that we're not investing enough in as, as, as a country because we don't have a national strategy, right? We have everything, every, everything state by state, everyone's scrambling state by state. And, and, it's a, and so we just, we're not on, on the game. Europe already has these technologies in place and everything, you know, Korea does and so on. We don't, which is disappointing because we are, we're, we, we actually, we actually invented LISPR, we invented CRISPR, and we have more laminar flow capability than anyone else in the world. And we can't seem to get it out the door for, for our own, for our own people, it's like, come on, <laughs> what's what's wrong with the picture? <laughs> Sadly, that's almost typical at this point. Like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Crazy. <laughs> you know, so here we are, and so we're you know, it's sort of like the cobbler's children. And, uh, well, and so like, and, and I am, I'm, I'm really curious. Like, you know, there, there, you've got, you know, down there, you've got something like breath detection and that kind of stuff. Like, honestly, like the only way. Like, can it be like like something that you can? It can be a dongle that I plug into my phone and yeah. I breathe into that and. Yeah, yeah, breath detection. So, and, and it's it's an Israeli technology. Actually, we didn't invent this one, but they actually you breathe into it, and instead of taking your nasal swab, it actually can detect uh, the uh, the COVID in, in your breath, and it only takes. Uh, and then they have the, the the centralized lab capabilities right on site because you're able to go through and not go through you know lots of elaborate procedures and reagents and sending things off you just have the test analyzed right there on site i mean you you release something called iCOVID, and anybody with an iphone will have you know it'll, it'll be, be sold out within days <laughs> yeah I, I, and also so i'll show you there's a there's a group uh in, at stanford who has this capability there's a group at, at in boston who has this capability there's a group at yale that has this capability and basically they are low-cost tests that cost you know one to five dollars a piece uh, they're they're reasonably accurate, you know, kind of eighty percent accuracy. It's not quite as good as eighty five percent, but it's pretty darn good. You don't have to use to spit into this thing. You wait ten minutes. You spit into the detector system. You wait ten minutes. Put it in a detector, and it'll give you a result uh, and tell you whether you're okay or not. You could have that. At, and these this, these detectors are over your telephone. Um, you know, uh, uh, basically, you know, spit in your phone, Fred. Spit on a detector, and then the detector actually reads the. Uh, uh, it's cool. Oh, it's cool it's, it, dongle, Bob. Dongle. So it's all about the dongle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. My USB's uh, broke. Cool stuff. Uh, yeah. So, so this, this is what what it could look like, and we're just not. And that's not. We're just not executing. So, um, the next big area we've got is drugs, right? And we talked a little about the fact that the death rates declining, and you know, part of this is a result of drugs. So, if you kind of look at how much we got out there, we got remdesivir. About 5% of the patients are eligible for remdesivir because it's the 14-day patient wants to go to the 10-day patient. So you give it to them. I think we start testing remdesivir earlier by detecting people earlier with better testing technology. <clears throat> then we'd be able to get remdesivir into patients much earlier and have an even better result. But right now, it's only good for patients that are having a, a, late, a very late stage. And so the overall impact is, about, is around 1%, a little bit less than 1% on the overall disease. Antibodies, we just had the convalescent plasma being passed, right? They, they were just allowed now to go in under a UV light and hope that uh, it works. EU, right. it's, got, it's got issues because it's got, you know, at, at any rate. So the EUA is the emergency use authorization. And we were sort of surprised by that because they didn't really have tests done on this appropriately. And But we think based on our experience with Ebola and a few other uh, 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 viruses that we're going to get about 2.4% impact, impact. And dexamethasone, that's a real winner. I mean, 1% of the patients are probably eligible, but it has a 20 to 30% improvement in mortality rate. So overall, I think that the drugs are improving our capability to save people by at least 5%, probably you know, maybe even a little bit more. I've been a little bit conservative. 
about 10% of the reason that people are being saved and, and living longer is because we have better clinical methods and, and care pathways. And the rest of it is, due, as Bob said, because we're treating younger people. So, Well, and, and I would assume some of it is just because, well, we're, the hospitals aren't slammed right now. Oh, that's that. Yeah. Once you get into hospital being slammed, then you get to two to 15 times the death rate. Right. Will, yeah. So these, there are some really big upset opportunities. They're all cocktails that we talked about before. Three to five antivirals, for example, are coming through uh, right now. They can intercalate and start to uh, you know, really impact the viral infection replication. In fact, they're so effective sometimes they kill you <laughs> because they've intercalated with all of your own cellular machinery. But you, know, you start backing that off and you get a pretty good improvement in the overall control of the virus. That's probably five years away, five to seven years away. The antibodies are slightly faster. Uh, more more easily available, we think, probably in about three years. Uh, there's a cocktail coming out of Stanford, three three uh, three monoclonals. There's a cocktail coming out of Harvard with five monoclonals. Uh, um, Regeneron has a lot of a number of uh, Eli Lilly has a number of monoclonals that look good. And this is the natural progression of the convalescent therapy into the monoclonal therapies. And then we have the immunomodulators, uh, and here these are the things like dexamethasone, and we think that that'll actually help with, the, with these long haul effects, but they'll take a long time to develop. So. The big thing that happened, uh, I talked about, and this is worth talking about because this, this is really exciting. This is our big bet, right? Our big bet is on vaccines. So the uh, I probably talked too long. Uh-oh, I have to go fast. So the vaccines are, what happened with EUA? It, it's like every episode. You're, I have no idea. I don't even know what the hell time it is, Fred. I, I, I'm just, I, <laughs> <laughs> Here's what's happening. I'll, I'll try to go faster. So this is, but this is really cool. So what's happening with the vaccines is with about up until a week ago, I didn't think it was going to be possible, right? But uh, a week ago, they, the FDA uh, got, got together and they said, you know, we're going to give emergency use authorization to convalescent therapy. Um, and uh, so you guys don't have to go through quite the level of, of FDA scrutiny and review as you would normally. So if you do that with the vaccines, here's the vaccine race. And you can see that Moderna's in the race, Pfizer's in the race, J&J and AstraZeneca. Those are guys in the race. And right now, we thought that at the you know, middle of June, we would have, we would have um, uh, the first, what they call, full licensure uh, for the general public, vaccine available. Right? That's sort of when Moderna and Pfizer all both come together about the same time. All right. And then, I guess, again, just for, the, for clarity, Bottom left, we're looking at July 2020. That's 2020. Yep. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's July 2020. And uh, so that, that's when it started, right? Moderna started on July. That's a great point. So July tw- on, on July 11th, Moderna started. On, on July 27th, Pfizer started. On September uh, 5th, uh, J&J will uh, start. They, they started. AstraZeneca started a couple days ago. So that's the race. And you can see the way they designed their trials, 30,000, 60,000. They've got two doses or one dose. Um, and it's sort of, uh, you know, interesting to see that all, all work out. But you do all the math, and it turns out that if you eliminate the FDA submission process and the FDA licensure review process, you don't get a vaccine earliest kind of early June. You get this. You get... Oh, okay, but <laughs> isn't that where, like, it, oh, yeah, so if you eliminate the safeguards and controls, you can get into production tomorrow. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it, what's interesting, so 
So the way they design these tests, the way they design these clinical trials is it's, it's called an event-based clinical trial. So what you do is you kind of get enough events and you can show that you have, the events are, you give the first person the first dose, you give the person the second dose in the case of Moderna and Pfizer, and then you have them go out and you see whether or at a if they get into an area of high infection infection rates, where I, in this case I said it was a ten percent incidence level, you have ten percent of these. Say you had seventy five thousand seventy five hundred subjects tested, right? That means you'd expect with a ten percent incidence level that people who were not vaccinated would be seven hundred and fifty of them, right? They'd get sick. If they, if you had a vaccine that was fifty percent effective, then the number of sick people in that group would only be about 320, uh, 20, uh, 375, right? So you can start to see a separation. And it turns out that 375, you know, 400 patients is getting close to what you need for what they call p-value, statistical significance. If you don't have too many adverse events and you can, don't have too many different populations and variables, you can get to something that the FDA would say, you know, we're seeing you know, significant differences between the vaccinated and unvaccinated group. We think we have something here. And if you do the adverse event analysis, it says I don't have so many adverse events. Uh, and it looks like it's kind of the same thing as happening with the vaccinated people with the saline solution. They have a little bit of arm pain as the people who actually got the vaccine. Also a little bit of arm pain, nothing much more. Then you start to say, you know, it seems pretty safe. An emergency use authorization is there to kind of test safe things in a in wider population. So you could kind of stretch the emergency youth authorization. It would be a huge stretch, frankly. We, you know, as scientists, we don't really like to see this because it would be a bit very, very big. Stretch. Well, I was going to say last time you were on, I, and I can't remember which vaccine it was, but like, it was it uh, was it yellow fever? Yeah. Uh, so dengue fever has some issues. Uh, yeah, the Nile River fever. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but the idea here is. The, the, there's a very big difference between injecting someone who's on their deathbed with 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 a, with a convalescent plasma that you've shown that works in Ebola, and injecting a healthy human to see whether or not you have a vaccine ship. Right? There's a big difference there in terms of desperation of the patient, in terms of the ethics, in terms of the in, in, you know, possible adverse events and how bad they could be. So I, I think it would be an abuse of the emergency use authorization, but I thought the dexamethasone was an abuse of emergency use authorization, and we had that happen, uh, I think, you know, um, with some pressure. And, you know, so we have an election. I think we could actually get some suggestive evidence of, of, of some efficacy uh, and, 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 you know, at the safety levels um, by about the end of October. Which is sort of an interesting time, right? That's right at the beginning of an election. So, Bob, maybe maybe your prediction was right. This all goes away November third. I knew I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, November fourth. It all goes away. That's the well, day that, after. That, yeah. That, that reminds me. Don't don't and and you know just on the math we can go through it in detail if anyone has questions about how these you know I, I'm an expert in study design so you know I looked at that very carefully and, and was interested in you know core set analyses and all sorts and we can go into that if you want to but basically. Trust me, the math sort of works out that way. Unlike what Bob was suggesting, the truth is going to be <laughs> that we're going to start taking off in November. Start, story of my life. <laughs> we're going to have the first indications of exponential growth, right? So we have suggestive evidence of something that might be interesting and, and, and that might be having an impact on the, uh, on the virus. 
we have a presidential election and all the senators, well, about a third of the senators, whatever it is, and half the representatives are getting reelected. And we're having a takeoff of the, vex, uh, of the virus, all happening at about this time. So it's going to be a pretty dramatic period. Well, yeah, and, and well, I mean, just I mean, you know, and to add on to that, you've got. I mean, I know that I think I saw today they were expecting um, basically a, a 10x increase in mail in mail in ballots. Um, but I mean, you've got all the people oh, waiting right. in line to vote. You've, I mean, the actual polling stations yeah. are going to be. I mean, I've seen lines wrapped around buildings before. You add six feet social distancing to that. Holy crap! This is going to be a nightmare. Yeah, and, and a lot of people will have voted before they even know that the vaccine is possible, right? And so there will be new information happening, and it's going, to be, it's going to be challenging. And what's interesting is the U.S. already has in place all these deals for doses. They've already said, you know, AstraZeneca, we want 300 million doses, and it's going to cost this much. J&J, 100 million doses. Yep, yeah, I remember, yeah. So all that's in place, you know, so we got, and, and then the EUA comes in, and uh, probably it'll be first healthcare and military workers, but I think again by about June we'll have at-risk populations being eligible for vaccines, and we'll have um, enough of the vaccine basically uh, available. Oh, I have the wrong slides up. Um, hmm. The next time Fred comes on, it'll be it's going to shoot up in November. Only if you vote for this candidate. Uh, see. <laughs> see? <laughs> No, no. See, no, you no, guys. I, I'm very able. I, I'm, I'm completely neutral. I, I, well, I know you are. I'm uh, being funny. I know you are. <laughs> but let me. That's why we keep having you back. It's just about the science. Uh, so, this presentation is paid for by the, <laughs> the, the, the political action committee in favor of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let me go. Uh, I, I almost went to the wrong set of slides. I, I'm glad we caught that because I want to show you what the supply chain looks like because I think that'll be interesting. For people to take a look at. Ah, where'd that go? Oh, See, Bob, he is just like us. He has um, name of name of presentation V two, V three, V three edit Bob, V three V four Dave edit V four. That's how you're so, supposed to. So that's one dimension of the sort of the the, the the drama of the whole thing. Then there's the whole global dimension, right? Right. Because China has already started this process, right? They're already out there in the market space. They're they're supplying Brazil. They're doing stuff starting in June. They don't have as good a technology as we do. They don't have as much testing as we do. They've already injected a lot of their military, so they have a lot more results, but they're not very good results. <laughs> they, they have a lot of adverse events. Russia just launched Sputnik 5. They had 75, they just produced, and they just you know, produced paper chain. they've injected 76 people. You know, uh, so that's basically a phase two study. We're already mid- midway through phase three studies on our, uh, on our side of the equation. So here we have the U.S. with probably what is likely to be the best technology with slightly more data being pressured by all this shift and let's face it there's some there's you know we want to be the leader in the world in the in the world in this space right i mean once if you start to control the best vaccines you've got a lot of you've got a lot of power in the political situation with other countries that want your vaccine and we want to be in that position if we kind of delay until the uh, russians and the chinese basically build the market space we may be at a little bit of a disadvantage well and and the sad reality and i think i think this quote that you've got at the top really speaks to it. Again, it gets back to if you put something out that's not fully tested and it's not fully effective, you and and it's not even in your bullet points underneath it, you run right. the risk of making the damn thing stronger. That's right. You do. Exactly right. 
because you'll start to select you know, you'll have you'll start to select for the stronger for the stronger viral viral strains uh, that that work against your vaccine especially if it's only partially effective and you've got a lot of people living on the vaccine living uh, uh living on in further generations uh, also of course you're going to feel like hey I, I got vaccinated i'm going to go out and do my stuff I'm, I'm free now i can do whatever i like well if it's only a partially effective vaccine you're going to have a bigger chance of getting infected you're going to have to use you're going to have to continue to use all this non-pharmaceutical uh, intervention to prevent the, the, the spread, right? Then, then of course, you've got, you're not going to be able to do phase three studies anymore because you've got a choice of having a vaccine uh, for sure, for, ten, for for free, the U.S. government says it's going to be for free on the first round of doses versus having a 50% chance of getting a vaccine or getting saline, you're going to take the 100% chance of getting a vaccine. So all those phase three trials are going to have to be done outside the United States. The other, pro- the, the other problem is that if you have a partially effective vaccine and you get it approved, the next vaccine has to be 10% better than that vaccine. And proving that a vaccine, proving that a vaccine goes from zero to 50, like you did in the first round, that's pretty easy. You only need 30,000 patients. If you want to prove that your vaccine is 10% better than a 50% vaccine, you've got to, you got to test 100,000 people. Yikes. So, so, yeah. So the separations get harder and harder, right? And then you have a risk of the fact that you have partial vaccines. You know, you might only be uh, helping certain populations, and again, the asymmetries get really challenging. Who do you who do you treat? Who don't you treat? So there's a lot of issues with partially effective vaccines that you that you that you approve very quickly. That uh, uh, <laughs> you know. So, and my- a question just came in from a, a viewer. Yes. Nick says, uh, also, if attention pushes energies towards a single promising vaccine. Uh, could R and D of other potentials be backburned? Uh, yes, we'll, you know we we have it. So that's we have about 176 uh, options right now. There are 176 vaccines and trials now, uh, and there are really about six basic technologies spread among us 176. So Nick is absolutely right. What happens is if you you know focus everything on the first the, uh, that first vaccine, you're ignoring a lot of the other vaccines, and that's what was so disappointing. Originally, what we wanted to do uh, at the international levels, we wanted to have what, what they call a master protocol. For the master protocol, what happens is every vaccine is tested the same way. So you, you have all the vaccines lined up. So these are already phase three testing. Everyone uses the same methodology. And then you really see the difference between vaccine one and vaccine two using this master protocol technique. It's in them. So there are different statistical you know, ways of doing this, but that's what you do basically. And you can actually compare each vaccine and their efficacy because they go around in cycles, right? We didn't do that. Now we have, you know, tribes of, of five or six guys who are in in the lead all vying for their own vaccine. Well, yeah, because, I mean, and I think you had talked about that last time around where basically the first to market gets just the enormous percentage of the market share, and then it just drastically drops off after that. Yeah, the first the first guy to market sixty, the next guy thirty, and that's the rest of the market tends to split ten percent between them. Sadly, <laughs> that's typical with pharmaceuticals. And most of these guys don't the vaccines don't make very much money. So there are only about six manufacturers who do this well today. Um, you know, the, most of the vac- most of the other companies basically you know shed their vaccine operations a long time ago because you're curing the disease. You don't make much money if you cure the disease. So here's my sense of how of, of how effective the first vaccine. Generation will be. My guess is it'll be what I call "quote unquote" fifty-eight percent effective in, in in reducing transmission, which is pretty good if it's true. Uh, but it'll only be thirty percent effective in in preventing severe disease. Uh, I think it'll probably be good for about eighty percent of the population, but most likely the most the most uh, jeopardized part of our population, the most susceptible part of our our, our population, will be the twenty percent that we can't inject. The elderly, 
uh, the young, the compromised, those people will likely not be able to be vaccinated by more traditional broad vaccine. The durability, I think we'll be lucky if we get a, a, a year of durability. We let, we'd like to have three years. The green indicates what we'd like. And scalability, I think we'll be at, uh, you know, Sethi's indicating we could be as, as many as 2 billion doses in a year. I think that's a little bit optimistic, but I don't want to disagree with Sethi because they have a lot of information. I don't, I'm, I'm only working with one of the big manufacturers and there. They see the whole pipeline of six of them. So, you know, they, they didn't have more information. So, yeah, because I mean, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, so you've got, you know, 22% from the vaccine, 10% natural. So you've got 32%. We've got to hit like 60 to 70% to get to herd immunity, don't we? At a minimum, yeah. Yeah. 57% at an absolute minimum, yeah. Uh, and then if, and that, how, when you get kind of at that rate of our, if we consider an R of, of uh, reproductive rate of, that's uh, 2.37, I think, uh, you got to get to 57%. Usually you want to have 80% just to make sure, because you can't intersperse the, the vulnerable with the unvulnerable. You got to have perfect, you know, <laughs> right. of, of safety. So basically, my sense is we'll be able to vaccinate about 85% of the population with a with a 58% uh, of the uh, effective overall, I'm sorry, a 30% effective solution overall, which means we'll have about a 32% okay. overall. So just like just to make this, I guess, understandable, like how does that compare to say a flu shot? Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty comparable to a flu shot. We have about 40 to 60% of people taking the flu shot. Uh, it's usually uh, about fifty percent effective, sometimes less. You say forty to sixty, Fred? Yeah, that's that awesome. many. Yeah, <laughs> I would never have thought. Honestly, God, forty-five percent of our average. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so. It's, it I mean, those are the, that's the amount of people that vote. I mean, I'm, that's I'm more than the amount of people that vote. That's the scary part. Yeah. I know, that's. <laughs> Yeah, so it'll be similar, and the, and the and the less the more partial it is, the more it's going to be more like a therapy that you kind of take continuously versus something that you take like like a real vaccine you take once and you're and the problem solved. Well, so and I, I guess that's a, I guess that's a better analogy. So you, so it's it's more comparable to say a flu shot than it is to say a measles vaccine. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think that I think I think that's going to be the case. I, if it's like a measles vaccine, then we would have hit the lottery, right? Hundred percent immunity for as long as you like. Right, uh, that's the lottery, and and that's the that's the bet on the silver bullet. And maybe we'll be lucky, but I I think this is more likely. So if if that's the case, you want to be able to mix your net. You're not. You want your drugs plus your vaccines plus all your NPI and do it well. And we're not doing well with NPI, so chances are we're not going to have as good an effect of the vaccine as people think right now, sadly. And we might push it, and then we'll have a Got a mediocre vaccine for a long time instead of a good one, um, you know, uh, and a little bit longer to, if we wait a little bit more longer. But we'll see. We'll see. We have to look at the data, and it's not there yet. So the supply chains are really interesting here. Like I said, you know, we are having a lot of trouble with our supply chains because we haven't changed them. You know, you'd think that we have a brand new virus. We need to have a brand new supply chain, right? No, 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 no. We're going to just try to tweak what we currently have in place. And the result is we have all sorts of issues and bottlenecks that we cannot possibly solve if you look at the kind of gap we have in most of these supply chains. And that's what's really hurting us in our NPI. So you can see our hygiene, um, like, uh, you know, we're, we're probably a 10x off on hygiene. We don't have enough spray pump bottles. Oh, that's the thing. I, I've heard that from probably every, you know, restaurant, bar, whatever owner that, that I know that, okay, yeah, this week we can get the sanitizer, but we can't get pumps. They're on back order for six weeks. 
or hey, great, I found somebody for pumps, but now all the sanitizer is like screwed and we can't do anything for four weeks. Yeah, and we're sort of minus, like you said, you're, I think we're cutting out a minus 40% capability and an overall 10 times supply chain gap because, you know, that magnifies itself all the way back to the raw materials, right? The same thing is true about PPE. We've got a 50 times supply chain gap. We don't have enough uh, of the pressed fiber and that kind of magnifies itself all the way along the, 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 the supply chain from the raw material to the distributor. We don't have enough testing and tracing at all, um, at, at all the way along. And that's what's really hurting us. And then, of course, our, our repurposed pharma, pharma drugs, we don't have any of the API production. A lot of, we only have about 50% of our production is, 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 in, is in the United States for drugs generally. And almost all of our, our more, most expensive drugs now are repurposed drugs that are, have been on the market for a long time and proven, you know, safe for a lot, a broad population like what we need. But let's take a look at the future vaccine population. Uh, uh, uh sorry, uh, 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 supply chain. This is what it looks like. Right now, we're able to actually produce 287 million doses in the United States. That means all the flu, all the pneumonia, all the diphtheria, all the NMR. <laughs> so it's, that's what we do in total for everything that we currently have going on. That's, yeah. Everything we got going, 287 million doses in a year. That's, that's as much as we can do. Now, we might be able to eke out about 10, 15% more, according to the, the studies we've done. That means we have 35 million doses that we have available right now. And now we have to use that supply chain. In order so if we wiped out all of that and <laughs> repurposed it, we would have 10% of the population covered. Oh, not even. Yeah. Right? Because the number that we actually need is 10 billion. So we got 35 million. We need 10 billion doses. <laughs> right, for the for the global demand. Now, for the United States, you know, we only need 500 million. So we're only a factor of 20 off there. But you know, I mean, it's it's the the, the gap. I mean, I'm just going to agree. I think it was I think it was Mike Good, Michael Good that posted earlier on on the video, and he was like, "Okay, well, back to the bunker." I, that, <laughs> that's good. So, and then the, and then all these supply chains are completely uncoordinated, right? They they got four different competitors initially, and then you've got to figure out how the adjuvants get involved, how the injectors get in, and how the glass and the stoppers all get in, and you're sitting there going, "Because I'm actually having to." Try to figure some of this stuff out, and and you got a pretty slow moving oligopoly that you know sort of is pretty happy, highly regulated, sort of moving along, chug chug chug, and making some money here and there with some vaccine. And the manufacturing, I can't emphasize how complicated the manufacturing is. Some of these some of these drugs have over a thousand components in them, little um, literally. I mean, very complicated, super highly regulated, super constrained. Right? Some of the adjuvants. I'm working with one adjuvant. I need 10 pounds of it. It's going to take me two years and cost $1.4 billion just for that one component. <laughs> wow. If you do the wrong business. Yeah. <laughs> there are other adjuvants that come, you know, there's a, you know, a stamen of a flower in Malaysia that only grows once every 30. I mean, literally, it's, it's sort of at this rate, it's, it's, it's incredible. And that, but you need that, you know, one one hundredth of a microgram in every thousand doses in order to stimulate the, the, the immune system properly. It's just, it's, it's wild. So at any rate, it's sort of black magic. Uh, and it all comes together. I, I'm overemphasizing slightly, but it's 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 literally it does. It, some of these examples are true. The challenge that the transport management um, half of the doses are going to have to go through uh, a minus 80 degree centigrade cold chain. We don't have that available everywhere in the United States. Minus 80 is deep freeze, right? And we have minus 20, but minus 80 that's that's a lot harder to get to, and it takes a lot more energy. Obviously, a lot more dry ice, a lot more weight, a lot more uh, echo containers. These are you know, it's, this is hard. 
And then we have a lot of political allocation. <laughs> Just to make it a little bit more interesting, we don't manage this by supply and demand and how much people are willing to pay. We're going to manage this with the CDC having a special algorithm that's actually going to say this, this, and this population are prioritized, and therefore, Massachusetts, therefore, Michigan, you're going to get, here are your doses, and we'll drop them off in Lansing, and you're responsible for distributing them to the people out there who are supposed to be assigned by priority. So it is going to be a wild time. Hey, Fred. Yeah. Bill just asked if uh, China is going to hold back on any of the ingredients or any of the drugs, or are they being, I guess, cooperative with all of us? I, you know, I guess that's a great question. I don't So far, so good. But remember, we're just scaling up. We can ha- handle 35 million doses, uh, which is enough for our clinical trials easily. And then the first by a round of the military injections, possibly, or the healthcare injections. But that's it. After that, we're going to feel a real pinch. And I think part of the reason that people are starting to try to, um, now, I don't want to spread, you know, rumor. So I better not say that. But it, there, there, there's some hacking that's going on, and there may be a reason for that hacking. I'll just say that. So, um, so here's what, what's, what's interesting is here's a few of the different pieces, but I think that by 621, when this gets available for the general public, we get general licensure right through a normal process. So you and I won't have access to these initial drugs that are going through and, and being EUA. It'll be, it'll be, you know, the, the people who are prioritizing special healthcare workers and, and some of the military. Well, I guess available to the general public. Here's sort of the, the well, and, and again, this is all wholly dependent on everything going right like i just i just oh, yeah. I, I, I just, I just want to make sure we keep stressing that this says that we will continue to be you know hitting it out of the park on every dimension of clinical development which we've been which we've been doing so far you know i'm, I'm shocked that we haven't had any big screw-ups i know and that's remarkable because this is a brand new virus with brand new requirements and we're getting pretty good results and we're hitting all our timelines and i'm just watching this going wow this is really great you know, if it keeps going like that, this is sort of what it's going to look like. We keep hitting our timeline. So, um, and you can get, get a sense of the EUA uh, is going to then be available for the general public around. If it's 400 million doses, it'll probably be less than that because we have a logarithmic scale up and there'll be all sorts of hiccups, I think. So, but there'll be at least 100 million doses available for the general public in 621, I think. I'll, I'll so, you know, just in time for school to be out and, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the challenge, though, is get this. You, it's not just the active ingredient. You've got to drag along all these injectors and all these needles and all the glass. Now it turns When out, you're back to supply chain issues, yep. Yeah. You know where we get a lot of this glass from? You're not going mean, to – this glass is special borosilicate glass. It doesn't react to the, uh, uh, the vials and it's you know, perfectly – you know, it's, 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 it's just perfect glass for, for vaccines, and it's very, it's quite rare. And we're actually looking for glass uh, under the glaciers of Greenland because it actually is profitable to mine sand if it's the proper composition out of Greenland, transport it here to the to the two manufacturers who can do something with it to create medical. That's grade. that's. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I, I don't even know how to process that. That's crazy. Is it time to have your grandma surrender all her uh, vintage Pyrex? Because that's all made from borosilicate. That's right. The injectors are just as bad too, right? Because it isn't just, you know, unless you want to be be poked with an old-fashioned needle without real surgical steel and a big hole in it. I mean, these these new injectors, that steel, I mean, I worked on this stuff for several years. You've got to have special surgical level steel. It's got to be 
you know, ground, uh, we've got uh, 32, 31 different facets of, of the needle to really, you know, in, improve its injectability and, does, and, 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 and resistance into the skin. I, you you want to have the right stuff. We're super constrained on the steel that's coming through. And, and basically, there's one manufacturer, one big manufacturer, Beckham Dickinson, does, does all that for us. And if they can't get access to the steel, which is coming largely from other countries, sadly, um, you know, we're again, we're going to have the same kind of constraint. Now, I think these are solvable problems, but I only have six, seven months. And that's what makes it tough. And the problem is that these injectors, needles, glass stoppers, everybody else wants them too. The Russians want them, the Chinese want them, the Germans want them. Right. Um, so this is a global issue. And some of these things are really hard to get. Like, for example, in order to test whether I've got bacterial contamination uh, in the in the vial, you actually use the blood of the... <laughs> This will be sound strange, but you use, the, you use the blood of the limulus, which is this horseshoe crab. Now, that right. that many limuli on the planet. So we've actually got a new synthetic method that we think is going to work, but we got, you know, we've, we've got to scale it and get it in, in production. That's the sort of stuff we're looking at. So what, you're saying is, so what you're saying is go out and start a horseshoe crab farm <laughs> is, <laughs> is what I'm hearing. But, you know, <laughs> we're still scaling that baby up. So. In addition to all that, we're getting, you know, two billion more doses from Novavax and Sanofi coming on stream. Again, two new supply chains, two new manufacturers, two new, you know, so it gets, it's, this, this complexity is quite challenging to manage it, is all I'm trying to say. Um, and then the last issue you've got is, do you want to just treat the U.S. or do you want to treat the whole world? You know, so that's going to be a big question. And people have kind of said, it's sort of like, you know, airplane masks. You get in trouble, you want to have the mask and the vaccine pop down and everyone gets their breath, you take care of yourself first, then you worry about the guy next to you, right? Well, suppose that only the first class airline masks drop, or only a couple will drop here and there. And then and you sort of wonder, is this the right solution to the problem we've got? And although it's counterintuitive, generally, the faster you kill the pandemic, the better off the whole world is and the better off you do as a, as a global, as a nation, you know, in that world. We are a very small sliver of the overall world demand. So the problem is that we would divert a lot of our capacity over to the other parts of the world. But statistically, it would actually um, be faster to let the vulnerable people around the world, uh, with a slight preference to ours, uh, be vaccinated with us. Because um, otherwise, it's going to happen if you have a. This is only true for a partially effective vaccine. If you have a fully vac- uh, effective vaccine in the first round, you want to inject it, cure all your own citizens, and then move out. But if you've got a right. partially effective vaccine, the problem is going to come back around and bite you again and again and again because there'll be reservoirs of this active virus all over the world trying to get you. And we'll also have pissed off all of our friends around the world because we will. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, it, it gets back to, I mean, that, that gets back to how this all started in the first place. I mean, okay, everything's great. Everybody start traveling again. Oops. Yeah. Oops. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, that's, and that's what's likely to happen. And the other thing that's likely to happen is that we're not going to have the only vaccine. There'll be vaccines that will, might be better for parts of our population uh, that we should be giving, for example, to certain Russians, because the Russians will be doing better that way. And the Russians will have vaccines better for parts of our population. But if we, if we, don't, if we don't say no, if we say no, no, that's all ours. And we won't be able to share and find the best solution for the, for the world. So it, it turns out, counterintuitively, you know, that and difficult politically, difficult politically, that it is smarter to play a global game than us first game uh, for a whole number of reasons. If we have a partially effective vaccine, which is likely through the first 18 months of this cycle. 
So at any rate, uh, the next part of this discussion is about it, the economy. Uh, I, and I've taken too, a lot of time. Do you want me to go a little bit talk about the economy, or, or do you want to talk all tonight? What would you like? To like? Yeah, no, I, I think this is the part that people are actually going to be really, really interested in is, is what's going okay. on. Okay. Well, um, there, there's two parts of the economy. One's the microeconomy, one's the macroeconomy, right? So on the micro side of the economy, what you want to look for if you're a business is you want to look at how easy it is to socially distance. Is it easy or difficult? And then how important are you to the overall economy uh, in terms of curing COVID? And if you are in the lower left-hand corner, right, where it's difficult to socially distance, everyone's working together tightly and breathing on each other and coughing on each other, and you're not very important um, to the fight against COVID, then can't, you're going to have to either mothball yourself until we find a solution which would be two to five, two to five or even 10 years away, or you want to reinvent yourself. So, and these kinds of businesses are, sadly, the big service industries we got, right? The bars and things like that. We're going to look into the type of industry we're talking about in a second. Now, if you are easy to social distance, but you're not very important, then you're not terribly important to the overall discussion, and you can just do what you like in the free market environment. If you're in the upper right-hand corner, you've got you've got a good, right? Because you're it's easy for you to socially distance, and you're really important to the effort, so you can raise your price and be be really relevant in the overall economy. So you want to be in that upper right-hand corner. That's a great place to be. The upper left-hand corner is actually the most difficult because you're very important, but you can't socially distance. And those are the guys who are those are the manufacturing operations. Those those are the you know those are the school teachers, and those are the guys that are really having trouble. So. Let's take a look at this a little bit. What's interesting, everyone wants to get into the upper right-hand corner, and Jeff Bezos on day two figured this out. What he did is he said, from now on, everyone who goes to, to any outlets that we've got, and they bought that supermarket, I forgot, uh, Whole Foods, right? They bought Whole Foods. They said, we're shutting down Whole Foods. You want to come to Whole Foods? We'll, we'll, we'll deliver. You go on the internet. Tell us what you want. We'll put it on, on the front porch, and good luck with that. But everything else is going to be delivered. Everyone, everyone's front porch, and we're going to focus on essential stuff that's important to COVID. He literally said that on day two. And so you watched his, the, the, you know, you watched his performance in the economy, and it's just exploded, right? He's doing brilliant. Well, yeah, and I think I think Amazon. I mean, you you saw that with yeah. I mean, they, they focused at what you know their website. It wasn't just Whole Foods. Yeah, right. It was you know Amazon in general was. Yep, we're focusing on all of the you know the critical issues and the critical items that people need. Everything else. Hey, sorry about your shipment times. It is what it is. And, and, and so he's been outperforming the marketplace by, I think he's going 160% uh, since COVID. Started. I mean, literally. That. <laughs> so, you know, and, and that's the sort of thing you want to do as a business owner, as an employee, and the kind of jobs you want to look for in the future. So that's the framework. Now let's take a look at each of those quadrants in a little more detail. This is the worst place to be. This is when you can't socially distance very easily and you're not very important to the overall COVID economy, right? So travel and tourism, I mean, airline travel is down 45, 55%. And it's not going to come back till we have a problem, we have a solution. Hospitality, you can't get, you know, hotels are 45% capacity. And they were at the, at the bottom at 85% negative capacity, right? The theater, the music events, the sports, all that stuff is having a lot of trouble coming back. Health and beauty services, the fitness club we just talked about, they're the last to open back up. Again. Right. Right. So that's sort of in that quadrant. And the the best move you've got is to digitalize and virtualize, right? So the fitness studios, you see a lot of stuff on online now, yep. working out online, all that stuff. That's where you want to be. You don't want to be back in the 
you know. Well, and I mean, even you know, so like, and and that's I guess that's you know, your bars and restaurants went to you know pick up and carry out and everything else, and and I think like the I mean, travel and tourism, not a whole lot you can do there. Um, you know, same thing with the performing arts, like you can't. I mean, there's a lot of people that have gone to, um, you know, there's been a lot of like online concerts and that kind of stuff. People performing from, you know, their houses or even like you'll see an entire band get together from their different locations and do and do their thing online. And that's great. But that's still not, you know, 30,000 people, 60,000 people in an arena at a concert, you know, at, you know. 50 to 500 dollars a piece and i mean it's 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 rough i mean i know a lot of friends that are in the that you know plan shows and run shows and work shows and it's 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 death on a stick to them and i think it's kind of we got another two years of this at least sadly because we saw the vaccine you know if everything works perfectly we got a vaccine it's going to be a couple of years at least before we get that back because there's a difference between a vaccine and a vaccination right the vaccine means right. you can get there in June. Vaccination means you got to have all the needles, all the shots, all the right. twice. I mean, that, that takes a lot longer. That's two to three years out. So the other thing you can do is try to become essential. And so a lot of non-essential bricks and mortar are trying to become more important in what they're producing. They're moving from, you know, producing, uh, you know, less important things to more important things. So uh, that's sort of that quadrant. And I think about half of the businesses are going to go out of business in that space if we don't solve this problem fast, which is terrible because i have a lot of friends in the space and i have a lot of restaurants i like i'm trying to do the best i can to you know, give them business and stuff but it's, it's just rough for them um the next area is the area where it's pretty easy to socially distance but it's not terribly important to the overall fighting covid and that's things like farming you know you can socially distance there but it's, it's not it's, it's pretty important to, don't get me wrong it's pretty important overall but they're they're going to have some challenges um, uh, and oil, and, oil and gas is another big area that's challenged. And the reason these guys are challenged is because it's not that they're that important. It's just that the rest of the economy is just suffering, and so they're falling down with the rest of the economy. Right. You, know, you, don't, you know, the rest of the economy's got a little nosebleed, and with oil and gas, you've got a, a hemorrhage going Well, on. if you've got nobody driving to work, they don't need to fill up their tank twice a week, and you don't need, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's the problem. Distribution, uh, I think, is going to increase slightly, but it depends on what kind of distribution you're in. You know, Medical supply distribution, good. Uh, distribution of, uh, of stuff that's less important, uh, not so good. And the same thing with brick and mortar retail. Again, here, the best thing you can do is focus on the digital customer experience or become more essential. And I think this is going to become like a free market. There's going to be lots of consolidation in this space, lots of M&A going on. Uh, and the, if you have access to capital and you have access to uh, in information, uh, information networks and technologies, and you're good at that, you'll thrive. And you'll hurt your comp- and you can because you can outcompete your competition. That's sort of what it looks like. Then we've got the good spot. This is the great spot. You really want to be in this spot if you can. This is people who can distance and do great, right? We can work remotely. We can talk like this. Everything's wonderful. We can still get the same proximate effect. Engineering firms, IT firms, software firms, financial services firms, to some extent, professional services firms. Uh, for not directly, if they, if they can do, if they can work remotely, you put everyone on there home computers, and they work, and they're pretty much as effective and efficient as before by not coming into the office. And your cost structure goes down, your 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 your, your sales are through the roof. Uh, so this is a very good place to be, and you want to expand to digital platforms that control more and more parts of the economy, like Amazon is doing right now, like Microsoft is doing, like Netflix is doing, right? You just move into, and then you start to expand geographically from the U.S. base. That's what we're trying to stop the Chinese from doing this, because we want to do it ourselves. 
So this is that that's what you want to do in this work. And lots of opportunity. Now, the last area is the hardest one. And it's the one we have a lot of the, of the question to, uh, for society we've got to answer. And here the problem is that essential manufacturing, I think we're going to learn how to, and I'm working with a lot of these guys, so I think they're going to learn how to socially separate. I think they're going to create new SOPs to protect their workers. I think they're going to have new ventilation systems, new testing systems. That's all going to come into place. The essential fat manufacturers are going to become easier to socially uh, distance and safely social distance, and they're going to be okay. Which leaves us with these three areas, public services, education, and healthcare. These are big parts of our economy that are really going to suffer disproportionately and that people really rely on who are suffering also, right? Uh, the, the healthcare, people who are sick, people who are poor, you know, are going to disproportionately need to have the healthcare with COVID, people who need more public services, people who really need education. Uh, these are the, these are the areas that as a society, we're going to have to say, these are so important, we're going to, we're willing to pay a few more taxes or we're willing to pay a little bit more to keep them in place. Because there's only a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of pressure to, to basically privatize, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, and that's the reality with like schools. Like, yeah, that, like that's the one that I hear about a lot. Just because. Well, yeah, well, I mean, just, well, just because of, you know, I have, I have friends that are teachers and friends that are, you know, that, that, that are in that, you know, realm. And there are some school districts that hadn't before. You know, because like I, you know, the the school district I live in, like they've every for years now, every kid gets an iPad and yada yada, yada and, and off you go. There are some school districts that had not done that yet, and so they got caught. You know, okay, crap. Now it's something we have to deal with, and we have to figure that out very, very rapidly. Is it a, you know, is it a millage we can figure out? Is it this we can figure out? Like, how do we make this work, and how do we get this in the budget that we didn't know we needed right now? Or and you've got a lot of um. A lot of nonprofits and community organizations that have come along and said, "Okay, we're going to raise money and get you know laptops or tablets or whatever for the kids, you know." But then, oh by the way, you've got to make sure they've got something to connect to when they get home, uh, right. you know, when they're sitting there in their house. Otherwise, all this distance learning doesn't mean jack. And you, if you have three kids, you need three of it, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, it just it just escalates, and you go, "Oh my god, how am I going to do all this?" And there there's some courses that are asking for extra fees if you take your Child, because you need to work to a, a, a you know a facility that is centralized. Yep. That, that all the kids uh, and you have to pay extra money for that, and it's like, oh my gosh. So there's a lot of stress on privatization, but we can't privatize it that quickly either, and it's not necessarily a good solution, frankly, uh, in many cases. So, you know, this group is something we have to figure out as a society about what our values really are, and it's going to be challenging uh, if we have a long-term impact of COVID. So. Now. Well, and so sorry, but the one, the one thing you've got so like healthcare, like one of the big things that I, like I've seen a lot of complaints about this, especially over the last six months, is one of the things this has really shown to us is that it is it real like should we really be calling that industry healthcare? Uh, yeah, you know because it's like you know hospitals aren't really set up for healthcare; they're set up for for profit operations. They're set up for the elective surgeries and the churn and burn and getting people through. And that when a like when a pandemic like this hits, that's not what they're there for. They're not ready for it. It exposes the weakness. Yeah, of absolutely. And it's a it, it's a it, it's going to be a, a big question um, uh, in the future. Uh, you know, I, I work in the space, and you know, for a long time I worked in Europe. I worked twenty years in Europe. I worked twenty years here. And you know, there's positive and negatives about about having for profit healthcare and having uh, 
you know, healthcare provided as a, as a right. And um, the positives are in the United States is we probably have the very best health, heroic healthcare in the world, right? I mean, if you've got a, a strange disease, uh, you want to be here. Uh, that, you know, only one surgeon in the world, you know, has expertise with, you'll find that guy here. Uh, and, but on the other hand, if you're trying to do general chronic disease and, and life expectancy improvements and, and slow, uh, continual improvement work, then you want to have something where healthcare is the right and everyone has equal access to it. So it's, I, I think we're going to have some challenges resolving some of this, <laughs> frankly. Oh, I think, I think that's putting it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but, you know, we're, it's going to focus the question. That's for sure. So we talked a lot about that's the micro environment, right? So that's microeconomics. What happens in the business? What you're at in your business? Now I want to talk a little bit about macroeconomics. And I did some work for the World Bank back in the day. It's all about modeling as well. And what I what what I try to do is I try to take my epidemiologic models and apply them on the biology side and apply them to the economics. And very few people do this because they don't have all the data, they don't have all the expertise. But I, uh, you know, I, I have a little bit of a broader. Um, capability, uh, you know, an, an educational basis to do this. So I, I try to do this. So let's take a look at the different models. One is get lucky. That's the bet. And here, the biological model uh, is, is is basically you get an effective vaccine and you cure the problem. And the best move you've got, if you're working on a, you know, if you're saying, I'm going to throw, throw it all on the lottery, the best thing you can do to avoid permanent economic da- damage is to tell everybody everything's great. Keep working like you normally would. We're have a, we're <laughs> All is well. Because <laughs> you want to have everyone confident, right? You don't want to have the whole demand curve go down, have to re-prop it up after, right. after the bet pays off. You want to have the demand curve up here saying everything's great, keep going out with your normal life, and everything's fa- fabulous. And you want to open as fast as you can. You close it down once, fine, but after that, you open it and you leave it open, and you open up as fast as you can. So if you think about that, the United States is executing at the federal level Perfectly, right? And we are going after this. Yeah, they're, yeah. According to this strategy, they're doing exactly what they should be doing. They're they're on, they're on it. Uh, unfortunately, we think it's probably going to cost us about five hundred US thousand US deaths until we get full control with the vaccine, and it's probably going to be more than that. The second part of this is the marathon, right? We have discipline, where it takes a long time, and, and you here you try to avoid the exponential growth. You build the tech and control healthcare infrastructure. You encourage healthy behaviors. You create societal norms. You've got you know, ways of processes of doing things. Everyone comes together as a collective group. And, um, and here, we have partially effective controls. And if you do it right, even though it takes you a lot longer than having to shoot for a silver bullet, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's 650,000 uh, deaths, but you aren't betting the whole farm. Because if you miss the get lucky bet, chances are you're going to move to what they call a brutal model. And the brutal model means you wait for the next vaccine and you double down on the next vaccine, you double down on the next vaccine after that, double on that again. And before you know it, you've got runaway problems with your vet. Va- your, so basically your- you're sitting at the table on a losing streak and you refuse to leave the table. That's, That's <laughs> Let's double down again. Oh, there's the next vaccine. It's right. Oh, no, I'm, I'm due for a hot streak. It'll be fine. Yeah. Everything's going to be good. I just have to hit once, right? I'm, I'm good. What's happened in the meantime is, of course, your wife's selling the, selling your car in order to pay. <laughs> you, you're in a big problem. Blowing up behind you while you're having a great time at the table. And this is probably kind of what I call haphazard decimation is sort of the model because you're going to have people kind of randomly getting killed all over the place because you've got runaway virus. You're going to have explosions of, of, of problems all over the place. The economy will be L-shaped downward, which is not a good place to be. 
and you probably get about 2.2 million deaths. So you're betting at all, and and you could be moving to a very un, un, unhappy situation. And the best move you've got if you're in that space is to survive, right? If you survive, it turns out if you survive... God, I feel like I'm reading like the plot line for The Walking Dead on this. Like... This is what I'm because you want to survive in that way. It turns out if you survive the Spanish flu where 650,000 Americans died, you were one of the last survivors and you had, you know, you, you, you were out there building the new economy, right? You did pretty well. And so you want to just, just in time for the great depression to hit. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) (laughs) The wrong way. Yeah, exactly. So you want to encourage opportunism, right? You want to have extreme social distancing during outbreaks. If you're at risk, you want to save yourself. But after that, you're out and you're home free and you wait for the next one and you kind of build what you can when you can. So that's those are the, the, the that's what's happening biologically. Now let's take a look at what's happening economically at the macro scale. So what you do is, in, a, in order to model this, what you do is you sort of say, here are all the positive factors, right? You've got, uh, and, and uh, the green are the, are the positive factors. So employment's, uh, until we had the shutdown, we had employment going up. Had tax rates, you know, improving, getting better, which they weren't going up; they were actually improving or going down. Interest rates were going down, and and at the same time, though the economy wasn't perfect, we had slowing capital growth and corporate growth. We had the dollar, the, the money velocity was slowing down. We had our global debt levels continuing to go up because of the big, uh, because of our our big tax break. Uh, but overall, good stuff, right? I mean, we were we were, doing, we were, we were, right. we were hitting on lots of cylinders. Then we had the shutdown, and now there's a whole new series of negative things and a whole new series of positive things that you've got to model to see what happens. And so that's what my model does, is it sort of thinks about these things as positive and negative. But the problem is behind all this is the biology, right? Because it turns out that if the, if, if the, if the virus mutates and all of a sudden you've got a much more brilliant virus that's killing off you know, at five times the level, it doesn't matter what you do with interest rates. You know, you're gonna, you're, 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 your, your economic model is going to go to hell, even though the interest rates are going to negative rates and so on, because the biology is so bad that your productivity you know, is, is affected. So the biology drives the healthcare. Uh, I'm sorry, the, 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 and the healthcare then sadly uh, drives the economy. So we said we, we, you know, we shut down. The truth is, it shut us down. You know, we, we couldn't have survived going through not shutting down. Uh, we would have killed off too many people. So that's um, that's what ha- that, that's what's happening here. But don't forget, in the background of all this, the economic models are overwhelmed by the magnitude of the variable uncertainties in the in the COVID model. But once you hold those things constant, you can then get a pretty good sense of what's going to happen economically. The other big problem we have is this is a novel virus, and we're talking about using pretty standard old economic uh, kinds of tools, right? So we've got a novel biology that's driving this whole thing. At the same time, we're trying to use standard economic recovery tools. So the tools aren't right for what the problem is we're trying to solve. And that's that's right. going to happen over and over again. So here we are. And basically what we're predicting is what they call a, a square root function with a slow recovery, right? Okay. You see that going up and then coming way down and then coming back and starting to flatten out and slow recovery. And to get lucky, you can see here, we're getting, you know, we, we actually recover at about the middle of 2023, uh, 24 when people are, are largely hitting herd immunity <laughs> and we're back on track. So even, even, Winning the lottery, best case scenario, we're still looking at, uh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, at least. 
you know, that, that's, that's a good scenario, right? Because it takes some time. Fred, this is this is why I drink while you're on our show. I'm just I I love you, man, but damn. <laughs> so this, you know, this is this is almost 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 a V. Oh, it's far better than the alternatives. I'm, I, yeah. Yeah. Now, now the marathon, you can see, we're talking kind of about 25 and a half, 20, 25 and a half. So five and a half years out when we finally start to gain control. This takes 45. So you can see basically the key question is when does things return to normal? And that's the duration of NPI dependency. Right. How long we are dependent on this non-pharmaceutical stuff and when the pharmaceuticals finally kick in. So the pharmaceuticals will finally kick in about 40 months, you know, four years out. And It'll take us about about eighteen months beyond that in order to finally you know, get everybody injected and get everybody you know better and, and on track and, and back to and back to uh, uh, her, her, what I would call herd immunity. Um, and then the problem is this brutal strategy because in the brutal strategy, what happens is it actually it looks better economically in the short term, right? Because you're not investing in any healthcare and anything that defies your economy. You're you're full on. Letting the letting everything run at full open and, and ignoring the fact you're having a lot of healthcare problems. Well, unfortunately, eventually the healthcare problems you know come back to bite you, and that costs an awful lot of money to get back on track. And so you can start to see that you know we go back and forth, and and, and you know in the first year, year and a half, you actually overall it's one of the better scenarios. And then after that, the truth starts to hit you, and you realize, oh my gosh, this is killing us and, and hurting us a lot economically. So people are unwilling to participate in the economy. You can open up all you like, but if people think they're going to die because they get on a jet plane for nine hours, they're not going to get on that jet plane. They're not going to help you economically. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, same thing with, you know, movie theaters and, and all that kind of That's stuff. You know, hey. Yeah. yeah. Let me see, tenant. It's just that I don't want to be in a place with, you know, 300 other people who are breathing, coughing, and curing uh, for five, for the next three hours. You know? Yeah. <laughs> in a closed environment with no fan. That's, you know. Well, yeah. Movie, let's wait for Netflix, right? So you can you you won't participate economically in the, under those circumstances, unfortunately. So that's why that's what that's why brutal costs them. So at any rate, so here is what I think is likely to happen, and I think there is a that if, if lucky the lucky scenario pays off. I think again we have about a twenty percent chance of that happening. We have a you know we have a pretty effective vaccine, and lucky pays off. And you know what we're going to want to do is evaluate our bet, kind of. Uh, from 2021 to 2022 and a half. So, I, I, okay. So, I, I just want to make sure I caught that right. So, 20%. Yeah, about one in five. So, would you would you would you bet the mortgage on 20%? I, I guess that's 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 my question. And then there's a spectrum of what could happen beyond that, right? There's a, you know, so then then the, the vaccine will be partially right. How partial is that, and how much difficulty is it going to change? Well, you know, chances are. You'll move to a brutal scenario if you don't manage it well, and you'll be out in the 2027, 2028 with a lot of expenses. And that's probably uh, with a that's a, with a 30 to 50 percent effective annual vaccine. So what you want to do is you want to hope that lucky pays off because we already got the bet place, right? We, we we're on our we're on the <laughs> we're on the pathway here to let that. Yeah, right. We're the, the yeah the, the train's already left the station. This is where we are. Yeah, we're in, we're in full, right? We got a full unhedged bet, and we're going for it. But if that doesn't happen, you want to start hedging. You want to start investing. About I think it's going to be one point five trillion dollars in investment, and that's your anti anti brutal insurance policy, and that's what I think is the is your best option right now, because it's important that you understand just how big this impact is. So if we look at the recovery scenarios, and what we did here is I added up 
all of the recessions that we've had since World War II. And if you add up every recession in terms of the depth of the GDP sinkage and the length of time it took to get out of the GDP sinkage and the employment impact, you combine all that together and it turns out you've got to add every recession that we've ever had since world, since the end of World War II to get to the same kind of thing we're facing right now. And that's because... I'm, I'm going to grab a shot. I'll, <laughs> <go ahead. laughs> that's, because, that's because this isn't a normal economic recession, right? Right. This, this is a biologically contrived recession that we're responding to, and we're not doing it very effectively because we haven't done it before. And so we're still learning, and it's going to take us a lot, lot longer, and it's, the, the impacts are a lot, you know, a lot more felt to the economy than we're used to. Now, luckily, we've responded quite effectively so far. But if Congress lets us down, it's going to be a bad scene. Well, and, and I think like you know, you, you like one of the comparisons, you know, comparisons you've got there is the uh, you know the dot com recession. And okay, so for that, yeah, we had a like you can well, kind of it's it's a cause and effect thing. Like okay, you know, we we made a lot of risky moves. People did a lot of dumb stuff. Let's go ahead and put some protections in place to keep that from ever happening again. And let's get back on our feet and move forward. This uh, 0.8% uh, reduction in GDP. Yep. And it was safe to get out of it. That was it. Yeah. And so, like, but now you've got this wildly unknown and uncontrollable, thus far variable, of, well, yes and no. I mean, because again, yes, there are things we can do to make it better. Yes, there are things we can do to mitigate it. But it's not like we can pass legislation to make COVID go away, to stop banks from, you know, you know, doing risky loans and to stop people from, you know, falsifying documentation, that kind of stuff. This, this is, yeah, this is something completely different. And, and so this is, this is what we're facing. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's, this is so people should understand, you know, like our supply chains look like they're 50 times off. This is why we're 50 times off is because we have to make such a huge shift so quickly uh, that we're not able to respond. Right. On the economic side of all supply chains, or now on the macro side, probably also because our Congress just can't, you know, work that fast to right. put money into the economy that fast. I'm not used to it. So, at any rate, now the issue will be that as we continue to try to make that double down bet, every time we sort of say we want to bet on this vaccine that was discovered in, you know. Sri Lanka. By the way, I I, might, I like the version of this graph where it's actually the old school game of Minesweeper. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to shoot you a copy so you can pull you can pull it into this because I feel like that's that's a much better graph for this. <laughs> uh, I'd love to have it. Because we're doubling down each time, and what's what's happening is you're you're taking the very best chance for the whole world, and you're saying that's mine. I'm going to pay you enough money that you give it all to me. Right. So I can place my next bet. Well, if you're Germany watching this. The first time it happened, you say, well, we have our own thing and maybe it'll be all right. But if it happens like every time and every time Germany's out of the money, they're going to say, wait a minute, I don't like this betting business anymore, especially so if you keep making this bet that let every, that keeps everybody else out of the, out of the upside and controls all of your, your upside, it might be good for you a couple times. But if you keep losing that bet and people see your game, then eventually people are going to stop playing with you. They're going to stop. Well, I mean, even eventually the bookie's going to cut you off because, I mean, that's that's just reality. Yeah. 
right? And you're and pretty soon all these all of your all of your economic linkages are going to atrophy. You can't travel anymore anymore. You're going to be sort of persona non grata. And you know when I think well, which we basically are right now, which is what this shows. Yeah, and that, that, which is what this shows that because I I also have a Swiss citizenship. And full disclosure, we're a, we're a very free market economy. We got a for profit health system in Switzerland. Um, but I can travel anywhere I want in the world right now under my Swiss passport, and this is where I can travel with my with my uh, U.S. passport. I can go to the Caribbean. I can see parts of Croatia and Tanzania and Cambodia, and that's it, and parts of the Middle East, and that's it. You know, that's pretty shocking. Yeah, a couple versus six months ago, and um, you know, you don't want this to happen uh, because what's you know, if you think if, you, if I think about my being American businessman. You you come in with a with with a level of credibility and privilege that no one else, that well, no other businessman in the world has, right? and a certain I mean, level of ego that goes along with that. Yeah, you can come in with a swagger. You come in knowing you've got a, a, the, the world's greatest economy behind you, the world's greatest you know economic powerhouse behind you, the best money, the best money in the world. Right. Period. But so you have that 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 cachet coming into every business deal that you're working on globally. That privilege that Competitive advantage is going to be taken away, and I, I guess that's probably about worth about twenty percent of all of our businesses in the United States. So think about all that uh, of, of that as China starts to move in on that extra cachet, as right. you know, other other countries start to move in on that, and that's what you want to prevent by constantly taking bets and, and and losing the bet. If you win the bet, everything comes back, and congratulations, you know, welcome back to the rural community. Can we please have one of your vaccines? <laughs> Please, you know, right. If you miss the bet, it gets bad fast. So my my thought is, we probably want to place this bet six or seven times max, and you probably want to do it for a year, about a year max. And after that, you better start playing a different game because you're you're you know eventually, as you said, the book is going to take it away. And as Einstein said, you know, if you keep playing the same game and expecting, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe roulette is not for you. Maybe 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 slot machines. Like maybe stick with the quarter slots and you're good. Yeah. Move to a different strategy. Yeah. So my thought is, you probably want to, you know, you probably want to avoid the brutal strategy, and you probably want to have some insurance. And by doing that, you invest in in in, in at least the bet plus a hedge. And the hedge. So no, now what is what? Uh, okay, I was just going to say, yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the hedge says we invest in disruptive technology. We invest in the world's best testing. We, invest, we try to do the best tracing. We continue working on vaccines. We look at medicine cocktails. Right, so we, we place more bets in more disruptive technologies that actually could address the difference that we have in you know fighting this versus the rest versus what we've done in the past. We then work on the, the, the supply chains, and so we understand what the su- total supply looks like, and we work uh, uh, on, on, on all levels. So we know what the total supply is and the total demand is through the whole supply chain. We've got global backstops. We have deals with countries that like still like us. And we have a hospital infrastructure that doesn't expose the fact you've got a lot of people who are have are very very ill uh, in in process in the hospital. So as, as as the population sees that and the hospital infrastructure gets overwhelmed, you get a lot of high death rate, and then you have people who are very obviously the population is very upset. You support demand. That means you continue with all of the uh, of the social insurance because if people can't spend money and they start to save a lot. In order to, uh, as they as they see the, the economy starting to shrink, it's a downward cycle because you have to, to restore that demand. You actually get struck 
you know, permanent structural changes right. in the economy that you can't overcome. The Fed has to continue. The regulatory emergencies have to continue. The school child care remote infrastructure has to continue. And you have to make sure that you don't completely shift societal, uh, you know, balance of powers like we're starting to see a little bit, sadly, in, uh, in, in the minority, poor and elderly populations that are being uh, by, by really hurt much more than the rest of us in society. If you don't do that, you pay a really big, big price coming, coming back on this because you live in an unbalanced society and eventually uh, things start to, start to crack and that, that, that costs money. So this is what I think our, our best chance of coming out of this is less scathe using the lucky, the lucky strategy. So the forecast is, you know, negative growth. Unfortunately, nothing good comes from the economy from this. Uh, and we're going to have a shock. Uh, I think we're going to kind of get up, get back up to 80 to 91% of pre-pandemic levels. And then we'll kind of drift upwards very slowly unless we have to shut down, which might happen, which may happen in early next year. Yeah. It's, that was kind of my question is with everything starting to open up again, like what's, what's kind of your, your gut feel on are, are, are we going to be locking back down again? So it was interesting. You know, the, the epidemiologists all got to, you know, about 170 of them got together and said, if we were all alone in the world, there were no politics, what would we do? And the answer for the guys who were in on the field were, we'd shut this thing down again and really hit it hard. But politically, that was impossible, right? You know, coming up to a political election. Right. That'll, if, if uh, the, the politics change slightly and there's new mandates that are set up as a result of elections, uh, there is a chance we could have a, a, a shutdown in February. I don't know if it would be the same level of, of shutdown and uh, by, but but it would you know it would be a, I think a pretty drastic one if we're getting you know we're trying to move from you know five to six thousand deaths a day back down to right and you know a thousand that's a, that's a, a less than even a hundred that would be what we need to get for about two weeks that's a long that's a long yeah uh, so more constraints on direct service businesses are going to limit productivity uh, rising inequality is going to hurt political stability. That's easy to predict. We're seeing that already. Consumer spending and competitiveness of businesses on a worldwide basis, which we talked a little bit about. Um, COVID uh, issues are asymmetric. They have been worse. The consequences have been worse for the most vulnerable, and that will continue, sadly. For the privileged, it's going to be sort of, why can't we have the spice of life? Why can't we go to the bars? You know, why, why can't we have that special you know, island uh, retreat. Uh, well, and yeah. the sad reality is there. Yeah, the why don't we, why can't we go to bars and restaurants? Like people don't even view that as privilege. Like you don't even realize how good we have it day to day. I know. Why can't I get the fifty yard line seats? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. You know why can't I do something special? And um, yeah, that that sort that sort of that nice spice of life is going to be missing. And that's sort of whereas the poor are going to have to worry about whether they're going to get the next meal or whether they're going to have a roof over their head. And that's right. Um, you know that's that's real pressure. I mean, and I really feel for people who are in that situation. I try to help as much as I can, but, you know, I don't have the infrastructure like a lot of the great uh, charities we have. These mm-hmm. companies also are going to have less global influence on the, uh, if they come out of the U.S., less competitive privilege than before COVID, and that's going to dampen our economy. We should expect taxation. You know, this is going to cost a lot to get out of, no matter how you cut it, even if we get lucky. Uh, you know, we're, we're down $12 trillion for the first time. Uh, ever that we are pro- uh, in more debt than we're producing in a year, we got thirty trillion dollars of debt. You know, we're talking about a lot to work through. You know, and and so it may not be direct taxes, but it sure might be stealth taxes. Right. The fees for your automobile license may go to 
God knows what. You know, $2,500 is going to drive your car more than six miles a week. You know, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you'll like you'll probably see it at the gas pump. You'll see it at, yeah. Exactly. It's going to cost silver, trust me. You know, there's no, there's no way around it. And the truth is that we're all going to have to chip in a little bit in order to get through this, uh, sadly. You know, I, it's I, a giant shit sandwich, and we all got to take a bite. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, yeah, th- thanks for putting it plainly, Bob. Thanks, Sorry. thanks. Sorry. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much uh, sums it up. Yeah, uh, yeah. unfortunately. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some structural legacies left behind. You know, there are going to be some real winners and losers. I think we may lose a major air, air, airline carrier. I think we may, you know, have permanent you know, uh, new agencies that are watching over X, Y, and Z parts of our economy or parts of our, uh, parts of our populations. Uh, that we, you know, otherwise wouldn't have had. And that's especially if the COVID virus is prolonged. So that's sadly what the forecast looked like. And, you know, some of the conclusions, you know, man, oh man, we lost the first round of the war. You know, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's just climate on a worldwide basis in the United States and the best country in the world. You know, and and as Americans, we don't like to hear that. (laughs) We are we are the we're the best at at, at, you know, and and we and and this thing, you know, disproportionately, you know, has us right by the short hairs, and it's not going away. Uh, That's the problem. Unless we get a miracle, and we we're on our way to a miracle, which is already interesting. It may be a partial miracle, but it's going to help us a little bit. But it's you know, it's at least a year away before we get to the general public. It's you know, and it's it's gonna uh, it, it's gonna degrade our health, our political relationship, our economic system, all of our social systems, and uh, we need to have really globally coordinated health, technology, and economic strategies. And certainly at a national level, we should have coordinated policy, and that's what's really hurting us. That we've actually fragmented this whole thing up, took a single big bet, unhedged, hoped for the best, and now we're getting the, we're going to see the results in the next uh, you know twelve to eighteen months, and if it hits. That's great. It's unlikely to hit fully. We may get a partial payback, but after that, no, it's a long slog. Um, U.S. is, a, is, is, you know, we were disproportionately hit by this. Um, we didn't have a scaled national strategy. We fragmented into offsetting state, local, and federal uh, efforts, and we have a lot of confusion, a lot of conflicting information, lots of loss of credibility, no scale in our response, and it, you know, it shows we, we are underperforming the rest of the world. Uh, by a, by a long shot, uh, and we've underestimated you know one of the biggest issues of our lives. Um, sadly, um, we do have proven MPI control industries, but we've over but they're all completely overwhelmed and we've mismanaged them as a country. Uh, and we are making a single bet. <laughs> and if we don't, if it doesn't hit, it's a hail mary pass. Really, if it doesn't hit. Um, you know, we, we we may lose this this game for a longer period than we want. Um, we need to deploy novel, disruptive economic tools and healthcare tools because we have a novel virus, and we're not doing that. We're not looking at disruptive technologies. Uh, we'll need to, if we have a next shutdown, we'll need to actually do something during that shutdown that recreates our healthcare infrastructure, gives us the PPE. Wait, wait, wait. So you're actually expecting us to learn from our mistakes, is what you're saying? That's I, I don't I don't know how that's going to play out. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's right. And there are other countries that are doing certain area, certain things better than us. There's not one country that's doing everything perfectly, but if you pick the collection of all the stuff that's doing, going right with these countries, you know, we can find out, we, we can, we can, we can do a lot better. And I think we will next time, but it's cost us a lot. 
And if you want, you know, there are some things about things you can do yourself, you know, uh, and you know, we can go through quickly. <laughs> don't make it worse. You know, don't start having big parties. <laughs> don't have a huge weddings. Don't go to huge funerals. Don't invite the whole family in for Thanksgiving from all over the country. You know, <laughs> there are some things you can do that are smart that, um, that, uh, that, you know. and, and sadly, I feel like this is the same slide that's been up since March, and people yeah. just don't. <laughs> <laughs> all I'm, all I'm hearing in my head is, "Oops, oops, did that. oops, oops, did that. <laughs> you can do that." Yeah, you know, I mean, these are, these are so, these are easy stuff. Well, I, well, I mean, it is Michigan, Bob. It's ope, ope, ope. There are a couple. There, there is a couple things in here that may sound kind of depressing, but. You know, organize yourself also means, you know, if you've got elderly who are at risk, make sure they've got something in place that is more than just a will. You know, you want to go to a living revocable trust with a incapacity clause. Otherwise, you're going to have even more problems. Those kinds of little things make a big difference in how it, it hits your own family. Right. You know, uh, it, uh, and, and just you want to protect yourself, you want to protect your community, you want to protect your family. And that's one of the things you can do. And, uh, you know, build your network. We tell for people who are getting depressed so that they're not, you know, and, and that helps both you and them, uh, to, to build your network and get digital as fast as you can. If you're not right now already, obviously, if you can do it, um, uh, get purposeful. It's, you know, you feel better if you have a purpose, uh, if you're going out there. I, I always try to buy from local businesses as much as I can here in Ann Arbor because I like, I like a lot of them. I want them to succeed. Um, well, and I feel like this is answering the question that came from, I think, your your third slide is yeah. how do you overcome that fatigue? Like, how do you how do you get past quarantine fatigue? That's right. That's a, that's a great point. And, and you know, get, get political. Go and push the, your representatives, whether you're Democrat, Republican, independent, doesn't matter. Tell them we need, you know, we we need, you know, we need relief on the supply chain. Right. We need more of this stuff. We need more infrastructure. Give us our N95 mask. We need more testing. Give people more money so they can spend and, and support the economy for a little while because as long as they're spending more and they're, and they're not destroying the economy, you'll build it up and it'll, it'll actually stand you in good stead. Eventually that, that starts to stop, but right now we're not in that position yet, even close to it, according to most economists, including myself. So stop if you're, if you're an investor or leader in healthcare that's profiteering. Uh, this, this isn't the time. You know, I know that you've got your money. Congratulations, but it's time to start giving a little bit back because it's it's hurting people. And then fix asymmetry to the extent that you can. You see the poor, minorities. You know where they are. You know, try to give them the, try to give them and support them as much as you can with contributions to their business, with, with, with extra food, with social work, with educational support, contribute to charities if you can uh, to improve the health outcomes. Because that, that's what it's going to take uh, in order to beat this thing in the long run. For sure. So anyway, that's that's what I told Harvard. They they liked it, but uh, you know what 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 do you guys think? I, I think I'm going to go grab a shot. Is what? <laughs> In fact, it might just be a gla- it might not be a shot. It might just be a glass of bourbon. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I've, been, I've been bringing you guys along for for a couple of weeks, right? So, but they hadn't seen any of this stuff since April. So they, it's a ton of bricks. So, what you guys have sort of been you know hearing a little bit. Little tid- tidbits, right? Talked even a couple of weeks ago during Democratic National Convention, uh, which didn't talk at all about COVID much, by the way. Yeah, even did the Republicans, by the way. I was like, you know, wow, 
but they do talk a lot about the economy. So somehow a miracle is going to happen. Well, I mean, Fred, I mean, this, this is America. We, we treat the symptom, not the cause. That's, that's the, you know, that gets back to burn the healthcare industry down to the ground. That's, yeah. It was a great show, but, uh, on both, on, from both of them, but, uh, yeah, they didn't, they didn't really get to one of the crux of one of the, right. <laughs> so what do you guys think? You think, uh, Think it's the right track, or dude? This is amazing. Uh, in fact, I've got several requests that have asked: um, Are these slides available on your website? Yeah, um, be, I'll, I'll put them up. So they just let, they just gave me the release uh, uh, actually on Saturday when I when I wrote to you, Dave. See, like you know, we appreciate the chance to get on so quickly. Uh, you know, and I tell people what's going on as fast as possible because a lot of the stuff is is funny. When you tell Harvard what's going on on September first, by September fifth, half the world's news stations are telling them, right. You know, we're going to have a, you know, we're going to have a vaccine in October. We're going to do this. We're going to, you know, the economy is going to be, you know, reverse uh, square root change. Well, yeah, well, and it's and it's the wait, wait. That's not that's not what I hold on. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's it's sort of, uh, you know, the, the the stuff tends to come out, and so I want to make sure that you've got the full story uh, for your fans. And after, I, mean, I, I I'll put it on the website. Uh, I think tomorrow. Beautiful, yeah. If you, like, yeah. Either I'll find it or shoot me a link if you can, because I've I've been asked. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been asked a few times, like, where can they, where can people walk through this and that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, sort of where we are right now. Did I? I mean, and and in all due seriousness, I mean, at, as always, it is. I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and doing oh, this because I mean the the information is invaluable. It's it's. It's the it's the pure raw data without any of the spin that I absolutely love, and I think more people need to get their hands no, it's, on, and it's more information pe- I don't get on the news, right, or on the, the paper. You hear um, little tidbits like you need to do a ubiquitous testing. You know what's that? You know that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I tried to give you a little bit more. But yeah, <laughs> and Austin just chimed in and said, "Thanks, Fred. Hate it." Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish the news was better, but at least right. we're getting the whole, the whole story. Yeah, no, and that, and honestly, like to me, that's the most important thing. Like, I, I will take that all day, every day. Oh well, it's it's been a pleasure, and I'll, I'll put everything up. And uh, yeah, p- please, you know, use it best you can, and, and spread the word for sure. Right. Fredbrown.com. Make sure to check them out. Um, again, can't thank you enough. You're a uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar, and, uh, and literally too, not just a. That's just a figurative term. Um, right. But we, we appreciate having you here. Uh, this is going to wrap up episode 364 of the IT&D show. Oh, you don't, you don't want to hang out and talk more, Bob, at, at 1140? God, I really I seriously had no idea what the hell time it was. <laughs> past, my bed, past my bedtime. I'm old man now. Um, thanks, Fred Brown, for the definitely for the time, fredbrown.com. On behalf of Bob, Dave, and Randy, do us a favor. Drink up drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. See you guys. Adios. All right, and we're clear.